What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Side Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Riven Andrew Velez and this is now episode 111. In this episode, we will talk about the Cowboys versus Buccaneers thrilling season opener, best fantasy matchups for week one, Cam Newton, TJ Watt's contract, Jamar Chase, and Curtis Samuel's injury. For the basketball portion of the show, we will give our early NBA MVP pick if the Lakers are beating the Nets, Shaq's comments on Ben Simmons, and our expectations for Christian Wood next season. This is now episode 111 and a quick Patreon and YouTube member shout out to Matthew Jimenez, Sean Solis, Shan, Avon McLaurin, Rice Family, John Pintavelli, Sean Triplett, Burner Hoops, Cat Stevens, Ben Mack, P. Dot, George Garcia, Hikari, Mateen, and Jay Aqua. That list is growing. The list is that growing. List is it's, growing. it's growing bigger and bigger. And to get access to our Discord server, you can subscribe via YouTube membership or Patreon. And before we start the show, a quick word from our sponsors, The Daily Stakes. Most of the time when we bet, we aim for the stars, shoot for the dark, and hope our bet turns out correct. When you sign up with The Daily Stakes, that won't be the case. The Daily Stakes provides you with the same analytics used by professional sports bettors and sports books to give you the edge you need. You will have access to model projections, key stats, and confidence ratings so you can be educated with the bets you are making and feel comfortable with it. The Daily Stakes covers the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and the UFC. Another awesome feature the Daily Stakes has is that they host weekly contests that give you a chance to win an authentic sports jersey. And all you have to do is answer games that are going to be happening that current week. There are three types of memberships. The Sport Card membership gives you access to one league of your choosing and the features mentioned before for $14.99 a month. The All Sports Plan gives you access to all leagues they cover the features mentioned before, and the ability to have a one-on-one session with the Daily Stakes team to guide you on your betting needs for $29.99 a month. And if you aren't sure about which one to choose, you can try the All Sports Trial, which is $6.99 a week, and it gives you all the features the All Sports Plan offers outside of the one-on-one session and the ability to enter giveaways. If you are interested in any of these packages, you can get a 30% discount code when you use the code PICKASIDE at checkout. That is P-I-C-K-A-S-I-D-E, PICKASIDE at checkout. The link to the Daily Stakes website will be in our description box down below. Now we're back and our Patreon list is growing and we appreciate everybody that has subscribed to us on Patreon. And by the way, we are starting to do a Patreon exclusive episode where all of the topics on the episode will be will be done by people that are in our Patreon. And we have an episode in the works coming soon when we find the time to record it. We're going to record it. And I think it's going to be a great episode. I, you know, I've, I've, I've seen the topic list. You've seen it. River's seen it. We've gotten feedback from the Discord. Yep. I think it's going to be an amazing episode. Just for the record, it's a bunch of NBA stuff. And then it's a bunch of personal questions for Riv, me, and Drew. So I'm very excited to talk about that. And I'm very excited for this show right here. Definitely. NFL season started. The Let's go. opener started. Cowboys versus Buccaneers. I don't think there was a better way to start the season than this game. I was watching it. I was excited. It had a bunch of offensive firepower, timely defensive stops, and a bunch of momentum swings. 
what are your thoughts on the game? Give me a quick recap, your thoughts. What was your biggest takeaway? What did you think? I'm going to start with you, Riff. Well, first of all, move your knee. Bro, your knee is I barely have leg. any space as is. I just I keep You're hitting mad your knee. selfish. All right, whatever. Um, nah, the takeaway, yo, it's crazy because I was watching the game. I was thinking like, all right, you know, we got Bucks, Cowboys, and we got 2K coming out. It's going to be a good <laughs> night. You know, it's going to be a vibe out. Uh, Boom. I'm at work, too. So it's like, ah, right, yeah, this is going to go by the breeze. But now I was watching the game, and, you know, Dak, he, Dak really, you know, I don't even like Dak. You know, I'm an Eagles fan. I hate the Cowboys. I'm glad they lost. You know, get that out the way. But Dak really looked good, all jokes aside. You know, he looked amazing. He looked elite. You know, they made him throw the ball 50-plus times, and he looked phenomenal almost every throw he, he did. CeeDee Lamb, you know, he started off the game a little bit, you know, nervous. That's that first game jitters, but he started to pick it up. Gallup, he looked good for a couple possessions, a couple drives. He looked really good. Amari Cooper looked amazing. Also, that offensive line was really good for the most part. And then Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay going to be Tampa Bay. You know, Tom Brady's back there. A.B. was looking like back in the day, A.B. Gronk, the same with him. Mike Evans, ah, he was just, he was kind of just like, ah, he was losing me a little bit. For the most part, you know, that guy's Godwin. A.B. and Gronk, they did what they did. And of course, that defense made some stops when they needed to make some timely stops. I just, you know, I was I was watching the game, like I said, and I feel like Dallas had the game in their hands. It's just really what it came down to it for me was red zone inefficiency. I think if they would have connected more in the red zone, they would have scored. They, they probably would have won the game. I feel like that game was definitely in their hands, and they could have had it. They made some timely stops on defense, got a few turnovers. Granted, I don't think... Both of those interceptions was Tom Brady's fault, but nonetheless, you get the turnover Gowan, you get the strip on him. They could have won that game. Even then, at the end of the game, you know, they was up one. They hit the field goal. You give Tom Brady too much time on his hands. He ended up driving down the field. It was amazing the way he did it. He just did it. with. It didn't look like he sweat one time in that drive. It didn't look like he panicked or nothing. He just went through and him and Gronk did his thing. But other than that, this was still a phenomenal game to start the season. That was a great analysis. You should... Uh, call Stephen A. so you can be on first take. <laughs> I heard uh, first take is gonna have guest appearances now. Oh, really? From fans too. Like okay. even fans can challenge Stephen A. And if I guess he thinks you <laughs> you look the part, he'll have you on. Word. I guess ultimately it comes down to if you can speak well enough to be on the show. Yeah, we gotta go on pick a. We gotta go uh, um, tag audition first yeah, take. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, no, that'd be hot. Pick a Dope. side on first that'd be take. Mad lit. Three of us. Three of us versus Stephen A. I'll be on Stephen A. side though. Take on you two. Good. Okay. You'd lose. Yeah, exactly. You'd, yeah, I don't know. You have Steven there. You'd lose. <laughs> and then him on the same <laughs> yeah, team, like too. So lose. they're really done. So a few takeaways. Like you mentioned, Dak Prescott is like that. Now, there are obviously some concerns with, with his lower his lower half, the ankle injury, of course. Then he had the shoulder injury in preseason. Wonder how that was going to hinder him. Then you look in warm-ups, and now he's warming up oh, like a pitcher. Go ahead. Can you stop real quick? Because I want to ask you a question. Because they said it was a baseball injury, mm-hmm. and it was like it, it rarely happens in football and happens in baseball. So mm-hmm. with that being said, does that affect it more because it's a base? It's not a football injury. Does it hurt as much, or is it well, the same nonetheless? Just the fact that it's a throwing motion. Obviously, the football throwing motion is a little bit different than a baseball motion because a baseball, you can kind of come from the side. But if you're a pitcher— more often than not, more pitchers come from the top. So it's kind of like similar finish in terms of football throwing. Because obviously I'm a lefty, Dax a righty. But you kind of come more circular with football. Right. So that's why what I was going to mention was in pre in the in the Pre-season? in the war- no excuse warm-ups? me in the warmups he was doing pitcher type yeah. workouts to loosen up before the game because it was a, a baseball type injury. So that's that's the type of warmups that pitchers do. And it was interesting 
to actually see him go through that routine because I haven't seen another player take that approach. Maybe Russ, because obviously Russ has some some baseball experience. Kyler has some baseball experience, but I've never seen it before pregame. Right. And it was interesting to see, especially because, you know, people were questioning, you know, how's the shoulder going to be? And then he comes out to start the game first play on the two-yard line, three-yard line, and throws a 20-yard pass to Amari Cooper. It's like one of those plays that it's like, all right, Dak is still Dak. His arm is fine. and But, you know, as the game went on, there were some spotty throws. Under threw C.D. Lamb a couple times in the end zone. See, the one that C.D. dropped early in the game, you know, there's a little debate whether he was underthrown or not. I personally believe C.D. should have caught that. C.D. is a different type receiver. He, and then he goes and drops the next ball. So I really was thinking, you know what, C.D. could have, you know, had something to do with that being incomplete. But ultimately, Dak looked money, only had... I mean, he threw the ball 58 times, so to only have 16 incompletions is pretty amazing. Threw for 403. That one interception, in my opinion, C.D. Lamb should have caught that ball. I understand that there were three three defenders in that his way, but to go right through the hands and get tipped off a defender and into the air, obviously something's going to happen once the ball goes in the air and there's three defenders, but he gave him a dot. Dak was money last night. One thing I will say, another takeaway as in terms of, of Dallas. It, what are you going to do when, when you're going against one of the best rush defenses in the league, one of the best we've ever seen? So I'm not going to overthink too much about Zach's, uh, yeah, Zeke's inefficiencies. Only had 33 rushing yards on, on 11 attempts. I'm not thinking too much into that. People are, are thinking, oh, man, Zeke had a terrible game. What's going to go, go on long season? I'm not stressing about it too much. Tampa Bay is one of the best rush defenses that we've that I've personally ever seen. So... This is an outlier. He'll come back next week. He'll be more than fine. Now, on the Tampa Bay side of the of the ball, this man, Antonio Brown, could easily be their number one receiver. And it's not even the volume that he needs to do it. It's the fact that he is a big play away every single game from being the leading receiver on the team. He had five receptions, and he led the team in receiving yards. And if Godwin doesn't drop that ball one, he probably passes A.B., but that just goes to show you how reliable Antonio Brown is. You can target him five, six times a game, but you can you can count on him potentially going 100% hauling those balls in because that's just how elite he is. I knew, given the fact that Cowboys secondary is spotty and Antonio Brown's only seeing man coverage one-on-ones, it's Antonio Brown. He, he is the best receiver that we've seen in the last... 10, 15 years, in my opinion, I think that he is that special. The two years that he had uh, with the suspension, you know, not suspension. Uh, well, the suspension, what was it? Uh, when he was on the Patriots, yeah, the page, he got cut from the Patriots. It was like, not a suspension, but like, all right, you're, you're done. He was in court at the time, about to go to and court. And then the year after that, he, he missed like half a season, but then joined the, the, the Buccaneers. So obviously those two years, you know, people forget what A.B. really was. And then, you know, now you finally get him a, a, a preseason, a training camp. Arians talking about him being the best he's seen and, you know, really taken back since his time in Pittsburgh. I'm not surprised at the things that he's going to do this season. I'm not surprised at the things that he did last night. And it's only going to continue. The Buccaneers are going to have one of the best offenses in the league. They just have too many weapons. But losing Bunting, uh, Murphy Bunting is going gonna, is gonna to hurt them in the end. Now you see him, his arm, that arm injury was very ugly. Shannon Sharp was saying how he had an uh, arm injury similar and he's going to be out four to five weeks who knows? Shannon Sharp's a different type of body, so obviously Bunting's smaller frame, so maybe it'll be a little bit longer for him to come back. But if he's out, that secondary is really hurting. And we saw, obviously, Dak has Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb 
on the opposite sides of each other. So, you know, the secondary is obviously going to struggle. But regardless of that, they did not look good. Amari and CD could do whatever they wanted. And with Bunting going out, even though Bunting did give up that they touchdown. Dean a lot. It, it, no, for sure. D- Dean got cooked often yesterday. And if Bunting is going to be out, who was one of their better corners last season, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to watching the secondary go. My biggest takeaway from this game is that the Cowboys missed a bunch of opportunities in this game and, and should have won. First of all, the biggest one of all, Greg Zerline missing two kicks. One of them, I'll give him a break. It was a 60-yarder, even though he almost hit it. It was 60 yards, but the kick that was 30 yards and the extra point, he should have made that. That was a missed opportunity. The Cowboys forced a turnover in the red zone twice and couldn't capitalize on those on those turnovers. You mentioned it, turn, um, red zone inefficiency. That cost him in this game as well. And everybody wants to point to that offensive pass interference. Was it? Was it not? I don't think it was. I don't, I, think, I don't think Chris Godwin's arm extended enough. Chad Ochocinco went on Twitter and gave that same explanation. And I agree with Chad. And I think at that point in the game, you don't call a play. You don't call. You don't have a flag on that play because I think it's a football play. It's a 50-50 play. Jordan Lewis fell to the ground because he's 160 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> uh, to Chris Godwin, Chris Godwin's a, a monster of a man. He's extremely strong. So for Jordan Lewis... <laughs> yeah, he is. That's a big body frame. <laughs> I know why you're going to laugh. I know why you're laughing. And Jordan Lewis fell because he was already off balance. And I, I think he flopped on that as well. But Tom Brady, ageless wonder, 44 years old. There's a reason why I have his jersey. There's a reason why I'm a Jets fan, but I still respect the hell out of Tom Brady because he is the greatest football player to to ever live. Even though the stat sheet doesn't say it because of those two interceptions, Tom Brady played a pretty perfect game. And those two interceptions weren't even on him. One of them, Fournette bobbled the pass, and the second one, it was a Hail Mary to end the first half. But Tom Brady had as perfect as a game that I've seen looking at the Cowboys defense in this game. I think they're much improved from last year. They're actually forcing turnovers. I think the defensive line with, with Micah Parsons playing all over the place, their defense is more unpredictable, but that secondary is going to haunt them. Mm-hmm. Trayvon Diggs, I like his aggressiveness. I like how he plays, but I'm not sure if he's good enough to be a number one corner and Anthony Brown I've seen it for years that he's not good enough to be that. So the Cowboys secondary will always be bad. At least this season, they're going to be bad. But an interesting development is how the Cowboys have transformed themselves from a run-first team heavily reliant on Ezekiel Elliott to now a pass-heavy attack. And I saw a stat that they are 0-17 or 0-19 in game in in their last um, in their last games that they haven't scored over 30 points. And that, to me, I know everybody loves passing in the NFL, in this current NFL, and I even follow Warren Sharp on Twitter, and he always is annoyed by teams running the ball heavily. But I think a lot of those losses, or all of those losses, are due to the fact that you don't have balance. Dallas needs to have balance. I understand that Dak threw for 400 yards and had three touchdowns, and he played a, a great game. But if you gave the ball to Zeke on in the in the in the red zone, if you gave the ball to Zeke on Tampa side of the field, maybe you run down the clock even more, and then you could hit the game-winning field goal. But because they were pass happy, they kept getting penalties on that end, 
it actually hindered their offense. I think you have to have more of a balance. And Zeke only having 11 carries, I think that is a mistake. I know it was the best rushing defense, but you still have to have some type of unpredictability on offense. And I don't think this pass-heavy attack is going to work for Dallas. You look at the last couple of teams that have had the first-ranked offense in terms of passing yards, they haven't made the playoffs. Last year, I believe Dallas was one of the top teams. It was two years ago, if not mistaken. Two years ago, yeah. Jameis Winston led the league in yards. <laughs> he didn't make the playoffs. Jared Goff was second, or he was top five that year as well. They didn't make the playoffs either. I think there has to be balance, and right now in Dallas, I don't see there's much balance. Well, I, you know, and it's interesting because I want because you were talking about Zeke didn't get um a lot of carries. Did mm-hmm. you do you guys remember that one play where um it was it was it was in the red zone and Prescott pitched it to Zeke and yep. it was Zeke I forgot the tight end's name and then one guy and the tight end kind of missed the block and Zeke couldn't get he just couldn't get separation from the first guy. Mm-hmm. Do you think like Zeke has lost a couple steps in his game? He's definitely lost a couple steps. But I also think that was a bad play call mm. because I don't think you should. I, Zeke has never been that type of wide runner. Right. You got to run it up the middle with Zeke. And in the red zone, that's the perfect opportunity to do so because Zeke, you saw in the beginning of the game, he capitalized on a third and short because he fought for that extra yardage. That's where he is used best. I think when you want to give it to a running back that goes wide, Tony Pollard, Tony Pollard is better in that position. But I do think Zeke has lost his step. And, you know, I feel like Dallas has always been and you know, we've been in the division with them. I've been watching for a minute. I think they've always been at their best when they're balanced. You know, when Dak is doing his thing and when Zeke is doing his thing as one of the best running backs in the league. I feel like that's when they've been, if not balanced, a little bit more run heavy, but still with a very tough passing offense. I think that's when they've been at their best. But like, you know, you said it. I feel like how long how long is Dak going to be able to throw 50 to 40 times throughout the season? He could do it all season. I think he can. But are they going to be successful with him doing That's that? That's the better question. But I, I think I, that he can, he can do it. I don't I don't because we saw it in 2019. We saw him do it. To be fair, they're not going to be playing Tampa Bay every single week. They that played is true. one of the best teams in the NFL. You know, before we the season started, we all had them as They got Washington coming up. Which I do believe is going to be a good game, and obviously I think that their defense, secondary wise, is better than the Buccaneers. But I'm still taking the Buccaneers' defense over Washington's, even though Washington's defense is like that. Regardless of that point, I still think that Dallas's weapons are good enough to com- contend with anyone. Any they can go against any defense, they're still going to be effective. Dak Prescott is an elite talent quarterback. Amari Cooper is an elite talent wide receiver. Uh, Ceedee Lamb is an up up and coming superstar in the making. Ezekiel Elliott, I'm still going to say he is an elite running back. You could say he's lost a step or two, but personally, for that play that you that you brought up, what I thought he should have done was just go straight through him. That's Zeke, what I was Zeke's thinking. Zeke's a bigger body. Just run him over. He should have just ran right through him. That being said, the tight end completely let go of that block. He should have held it as maybe a second or two longer. That block was trash. It just kind of, if I had to guess, it caught Zeke off guard that he had to, oh, snap, I got to break out to the outside. Because he thought initially that that was the play. Yeah. I'm going to run to the outside. But as soon as that tight end loses that block, it's kind of like, uh, my, what's my instinct telling me to do right now? And what I would have done, obviously, would have. I'm Ezekiel uh, Elliott. I'm bigger than yeah, you. Zeke, I'm going right instinct through. Instinct used to be just run him over. But ultimately, you don't think he's lost a step? I'm not. I'm not going to say he's lost a step over this game. Again, this is the best rush defense. Argue that I one of the best I've ever seen personally. The last three years, this I type of dominance. As the, as the O line has been declining, so has he been. 
And I mean, I mean, that's... I, I, I don't think I'm not just basing my opinion solely off of this game. Talk about last year, but in too. 2020, he had his lowest yards per carry he's ever had in his career. But let's see who we lost there. He Tyron lost him. Tyron Smith. Now, I get that completely. Lyle Collins. At the same time, Lyle Collins up five weeks right now. Frederick retired. At the same time, I see Dalvin Cook week in week out. How mm. old is Dalvin? 26. They're about the same age. I think no, Dalvin's younger than than Elliot is 26. I'm I'm almost positive that Dalvin is younger than Ezekiel Elliott. I guess. I know that. They're both neither of them are 28. They're the same age. Told you. 26. They're the same age. I see Dalvin week in and week out with one of the worst offensive lines in football in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Go absolutely god mode. Mm-hmm. Zeke could be doing the same thing. I think that's what separates an elite running back from a running back that is on the decline. We could say Quan Barkley, his rookie season, Giants didn't have a great offensive line, but he was still great. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel Elliott, we see, like you said, that offensive line is declining, and now we see Ezekiel Elliott start to diminish. And that's where I do think Zeke has lost a step. I'm not saying that he's a bad running back, no. but I'm saying he has lost a step. And I think even though... His numbers in terms of yards for the season don't exactly show it. His yards per carry have shown it. And I also think Mike McCarthy didn't do a great job calling the game yesterday because on the first field goal attempt by Greg Zerline that he missed, that was a 30-yard field goal, I thought the Cowboys should have went for it there. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're facing the Super Bowl champs, the defending Super Bowl champs, you have to score touchdowns, not field goals. And on that kick, Greg Zerline missed it that badly. But I thought Mike McCarthy didn't call a great game exactly. So to to go off what you said about Dalvin and Ezekiel, Ezekiel has had 322 carries, 242 carries, 304 carries, 301 carries, 244 carries. Dalvin's only clipped 300 once, and th- it's 312. And in Zeke's rookie season, he had 322. So, and... Dalvin's only been in the league four years, so that's probably why I I thought that that Zeke was mm. older than than Dalvin was clean. But to lose a step after consistent three hundred, remember Zeke's rookie year though. Dallas had the best offensive line in the league. They did, but he st- he still did his thing regardless. And then the year after that, he was solid. The year after that, he rushed for fourteen hundred yards. I get what you're saying. Zeke has been amazing, mm-hmm. but. You talk about all those carries. Mm-hmm. He ha- he's had a lot. He's taken a lot. Yeah, he's for had sure. a lot. So you don't think because him. of all those carries, he has lost a step? I think last season, even still, he still rushed for for nine seventy nine with no Dak, uh, no offensive line that he's been accustomed to. It's it's a it's one game against the amazing rush defense. I understand what you're saying. You know, last season he he wasn't the same running back, but. It comes to a point where, all right, Andy Dolan's my QB now. Ezekiel Elliott's my running back. Who am I game planning for? I'm game planning for the game changer, Ezekiel Elliott. At least me personally. I'm gonna, I can take the chance and put eight in the box because we're gonna completely take this guy out of the game and we're gonna force Andy Dolan to beat us. I take my chance on Andy Dolan over Zeke. Yeah. And Zeke, not that he was, he wasn't the typical Zeke that we're that we've been accustomed to, but. You lose Dak, and you still almost rush for a thousand yards in a down year. But even in this game, though, there was definitely opportunities where you could establish the run game. Whether they are, they are great. No, the I agree with that sentiment in the for league, sure. But there was opportunities, like you said, in the red zone where you could have used Zeke. That's what Zeke does. You know, run him up the gut. No, and just I, you're 100 right there. It just it comes to a point where the pass game's eating so well. Like, well but why, then it, why it switch became up? Predictable in the fourth. But I mean, 
Dallas w- was winning. They put themselves oh, in a position to win this yeah, game. No, 100%. Defense just let it out. I mean, listen, you can't really do anything when yeah. you have Antonio, Mike Evans, Godwin, Gronkowski have two touchdowns. It it comes to a point where, you know what, how much can we really blame on the offense? We can't. Yeah. They they stopped our run game. We found another way to to put ourselves in a position to win. It didn't work out because our defense is yeah. horrible. There is some blame for the offense because they weren't efficient in the red zone. I I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But regardless of th- regardless of that, you still got to make your field goals. One, you miss two field goals, you miss an extra point. The the the, the sixty yard you'll live with. It's at the end of the half. It's, sixty it's, yards. Yeah, exactly. But the thirty three yard is inexcusable. Mm-hmm. You know, you look to have points in that extra avenue. Exactly. The extra point two is huge. It's just a momentum switch. Just instant, but it's tough. I I really can't can't blame them too much for for that red zone inefficiency in terms of running. It's like this this Tampa Bay run. I don't want to keep reiterating myself, but the Tampa Bay rush defense is is like that. They're gonna play against elite level running backs a, a bunch this season, and you're gonna see similar results to how we saw last night. You're absolutely right. I do think uh, Zeke did lose a step though. I do, I do think it, and I'm not just saying that based off of this game. I'm saying that based off of last season. And even in 2019, I don't think we saw the same Zeke. I think 2019 is the start of where we saw Dak start to take control of the team. Dak rushed for 1,300 yards. Zeke in 2019? Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, I get it. The what numbers the, look what awesome. The, what was the carries? Per, what was the uh, he yards had, per carry? Yards per carry. Okay, this is wrong. Y per R? Yards per reception, no. Yards per yards per carry for Zeke in 2019 was 4.5. What was the year before? 4.7. And his rookie year was 5.1, which was the highest of his career. No, his rookie season was unbelievable. Oh, it was ridiculous. Oh, my God. That's what running backs are. They start off great, and then they slowly Dalvin's decline. Dalvin's an anomaly there where he started off all right, obviously had the 20 CL. Wasn't amazing sophomore wasn't, year. Didn't Derrick Henry start off like a little bit slow? And Agreed. Just, yep. Derrick Henry didn't start off slow. It's just his rookie season, they had DeMarco Murray there. Uh, and then Derrick Deion Henry, Lewis and him were splitting for whatever reason. Derrick Henry every season is up to his rush, mm. rushing yards by 500. His rookie season, 500. Second year, 1,000. Third year, 1,500. And this past year, 2,000. He's a freaking. So maybe he could get for maybe he could go for 2,500. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be the first running back to ever hey, do it. Hey, 17 games. We're going to try something new with this topic, and this is a fantasy football-related topic. And we're going to talk about our best fantasy matchups for week one. So if you guys are playing fantasy and you haven't set up your lineup, or you're going to do or you're like in a one-week lead and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you guys can maybe use some of this advice to set up your fantasy lineup, and we can help you out like that. So best fantasy matches for week one. I'm going to start with you, Drew. Who do you have? So I'm going to give two at the quarterback. I'm going to give two at the running back. I'm going to give a few at wide receiver and only one tight end because I know tight ends, it, it bores people, and they're not the most exciting player when it comes to fantasy. So my two quarterbacks, I'm going to go Kirk Cousins against Cincinnati. Cincinnati's secondary is is decent, but regardless of that fact, Cincinnati as a whole is not not the best. I believe that Kirk Cousins given Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook out the backfield. I think that Kirk Cousins is more than capable of putting up a good a good game, especially if you're playing in daily fantasy leagues. He's probably going to be a very cheap option. You can get him for very low, and you can spend more money on higher quality running backs, higher quality receivers. Now, my second guy is going to be Matty Ice against Philadelphia. Philadelphia's secondary, no disrespect to you, my guy. <laughs> Their secondary is atrocious still. Darius Slay is solid, but other than that, they're, they're, they're not good at all. 
I look at Calvin Ridley. He's going to have a feast. I look at Kyle Pitts. He's going to have a big breakout rookie debut. And, and Matty Ice is just going to be able to do whatever they want. It's going to be a big offensive game, and I think Matty Ice is going to benefit from that too. And a similar situation to Kirk. You're going to get him for cheap. You look in fantasies, I'm almost positive that less than 10% of people are starting Matty Ice. So if you're looking in daily fantasies, you could probably get Matty Ice for very low. Uh, my, for running backs, I got James Robinson against Houston. Houston last year against the run was abysmal. I expect the same thing, and I especially expect James Robinson, especially with all the chatter that's been going on this this preseason about you know ETN coming in, but then obviously ETN suffering the season and the injury. James Robinson has something to prove, and I think week one he comes out and has a huge game. My next guy is going to be Raheem Mostert against Detroit. Yes, thank Detroit. you for telling me that. Got you, bro. <laughs> I'm actually going. My my boy Pally, he has uh, Raheem Mostert. He just lost Gus Edwards for the season, and uh, yeah, I got him on my. Me and my boy Pally have a big rivalry going, but uh, <laughs> he's starting him against Detroit. But I got to be honest, against Detroit, whose whose defense as a whole is just not good either, and and a scheme where the run always is going to be effective in San Francisco. As long as Raheem Mostert can stay on the field, I think he's going to be one of the better running backs in the league. Not. One of the better as in top 15, as long as he can stay healthy, because obviously he has the speed, he has the elusiveness, he is a pretty decent pass catching back. It's just a matter of if he can stay on the field. But it's week one, and you're going against Detroit. I think he'll be more than capable of, of carrying that load. And, and just to keep the conversation flowing, you mentioned a quarterback and a running back. Mm-hmm. Now, who are you? Who are your quarterbacks and running backs? Damn, I had all receivers. You had all, all Niners yeah. receivers? All right, so I got, I got three situations. I'm going to piggyback because we had the same yep. Niners and Lions. That is a stat game. You know, mm-hmm. you look at Detroit secondary. Jeff Okuda, if that's his last name, he had a, yeah. he didn't have a good rookie season. He's coming in. He's probably going to be their number one corner. The back end is pretty trash. Kittle's playing. Debo's playing. Brandon Ayuk is playing. Look for Brandon Ayuk to have a big, big game offensively. Of course, Kittle's going to do what Kittle do. Number two, I feel like with Malcolm Butler not playing, Got the Cardinals and the Titans. This is going to be a stat game on both ends. Relying on Caleb Fairley, who we know is really good, but he's still a rookie against DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green and Christian Kirk. is going to be a tough one, but Julio Jones and A.J. Brown is on the other end, so that's going to be a tough situation in general. And then, of course, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, that's going to be a big game for them. Kirk Cousins, like you said, he's going to have a fun game, so I think those are the three wide receiver matchups. To piggyback on what you said, you started off with quarterbacks and running backs. I think my quarterback for fantasy this week, I'm going with Jalen Hurts. Love it. I think versus, really? I, yeah, nah, easily. Day. I think versus Atlanta, he's going to have a field day rushing and passing. Yep. I could see a day where Jalen Hurts has 100 rushing yards and 200 to 300 passing yards. That'd be crazy. That's how big of a day I think Damn. he's going to have. The Falcons don't have a great secondary. Their best player in the secondary is Deron Harmon. <laughs> Their linebackers are quick. They're agile, probably their best position group on defense, but they aren't necessarily great. And they don't create pressure on that defensive line, even though Grady Jarrett is a really good defensive tackle. I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a breakout game. For running backs, you mentioned Mostert versus Detroit, Dalvin versus Cincinnati. But I think Miles Sanders versus Atlanta could be another sleeper. But my favorite one of the week is CMC versus the Jets. I think that's the easiest gimme one. I think the Jets, even though last year we had a good run defense, Mm -hmm. I think CMC... Having not played much last year is going to come into the season rejuvenated and could have a big game. And then wide receivers, I think my favorite is Brandon Ayuk. I think he's going to. I think people are sleeping on Ayuk this season. They don't. They're kind of sleeping on his value the same way people slept on AB's value mm. in fantasy. And I think Ayuk is going to have a crazy game for the 49ers. Agreed. And then at tight end, 
Andrews versus the Raiders. You look at the Raiders last year, Corey Littleton couldn't guard anybody. And I don't know how this year it's going to be any different when he's basically going to be in the same scheme. I think David and Mark Andrews is going to have a great game versus the Raiders. And then just throwing a defense in there, I think the Broncos versus the Giants is one to sleep on. All right, sweet. Just to just off the name you said, CMC, people are going to think, oh, well, obviously CMC is going to be a superstar matchup, number one overall pick in fantasy. But he was mine. That, that just goes to mention. That just goes to 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 add on to what I was saying about adding Kirk Cousins, adding Matty Ice to those daily fantasy lineups. You're going to spend less on these guys, so you can spend the the ten thousand, the nine thousand on a guy like CMC against the Jets because those are such favorable matchups. You go and you try and find a, a more low-key matchup at, at quarterback or at defense so you can spend that extra coin on a superstar going against a trash defense. Yeah, and I think CMC is going to have a great game. But for tight ends, who do you have? You have you had Kittle versus Detroit. I believe you talked about Kittle and that Detroit being a stat game. You can you can even talk about piggyback of what you said, Philly versus Atlanta. You know, yep. Dallas go there and that's, Zach Ertz that's who I had. versus Atlanta's defense. You can talk about them. But I think Kittle being that, you know, Jimmy G starting. Jimmy G and Kittle have a lot of chemistry. You know, Kittle missed a lot of time last year. He was in and out of the lineup. I think him being fresh, 49ers feel like they're rejuvenated. They're, they're going to be back in the NFC. And then playing a Detroit team that really has nothing going for them in that secondary. You can just see him. And then, of course, with Philly – Dallas and the contracts didn't go the way Dallas wanted it to go. He didn't get paid yet. He felt like he has a chip on his shoulder. Zach is still in the team. He's the number one guy. He has something to prove this year. So those are two guys definitely look out for. I'm surprised you didn't mention Corey Davis. Corey Davis against Carolina. Who's who's Carolina got to stop Corey Davis? Dante Jackson and J.C. Horn. I just don't think that they're going to be able to. It it is going to be a force. I don't think feeding. they're going to stop him. It's going to be a force feeding. I of think the ball Elijah to Corey Moore Davis. is a sleeper for the Jets. I, I Jameson lo- Crowder is not starting. Hun- he's out. No, he's out. He is Elijah Moore versus their second corner because yep. I think J.C. Horn is a dog. I think. But you also, think he's going to show that week one? He possibly can. I mean, in college, you look at the list of receivers that J.C. Horn matched up against in college. It's all basically Pro Bowl level guys in the NFL, and he he. Did very good against. Do you know them. any of those guys off the top? Not a big deal. DK Metcalf, okay. Justin Jefferson, okay. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, basically all the receivers you can think of that were drafted high these past two seasons. JC Horn went one one on one against. And in he college. did his thing. Some of them he got exposed. Some of them he didn't. You know, have his best game. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, he did hold his own. I do think week one. I'm not going to be jumping the board on thinking that, you know, J.C. Horn's going to be lock up on Corey Davis. We've seen Corey Davis last year finally have a real breakout season, in my opinion. And then carrying over into the preseason this year, him and Zach Wilson have had an immediate connection. Uh, also, you know, we haven't seen uh, much of more lately because obviously it's a crowded wide receiver room, but Elijah's definitely going to get his, especially with the fact that Crowder's going to miss some time uh, or at least miss this week. So Moore is definitely a, a nice sneaky play this week, especially in daily fantasy, because he's going to be extremely cheap and against a Carolina secondary that I'm not very high on. And they were pretty generous in giving up points last season, too. So Corey Davis and Zach Wilson are going to have a connection all season long. Corey Davis is one of my favorites uh, for, for the entire year. I have him in many, many leagues that I'm in. So I think he gets off to a hot start against Carolina. I'm trying to find the players that J.C. Horn matched up against because the list is pretty crazy. I mean, just the fact you said D.K., Jerry, Ruggs. Exactly, J.J. Like, these are all certified. 
animals. Well, not rugs, not Judy yet, but, but I think both man. both of them are going to be a lot better than last season. He matched up against the best receiver For real. in the league, bro. I'm, but we, I want to see his numbers. I'm interested because obviously well, you match up with the best receiver in the league. It's different. You know, JJ, you wanna, different. Did he go up against AJ? You can't find it yet. Bro. I can't find. That's it. all right. No, no big he deal. probably did no though. Deal. Him and DK. If he faced again? Ole Miss, he probably did. Another, yeah. another, another couple receivers that are going to be very enticing: Robbie and DJ. Because your guys' secondary is trash. No, that's true. It's that's true. And Sammy's even Terrace Marshall. Yeah. Sam, Sam is a sleeper but for fantasy this week too. One hundred percent. Sammy's playing with a chip on his shoulder. Week one against the, your replacement. Yeah. You're he gonna doesn't have, have to that come type crazy. of personality. <laughs> Trust me, he doesn't. How do you guys like Waller against Baltimore? I like Waller Peters, against anyone. He's going yeah. out. He's out with an ACL injury. Waller could be playing against any team, and I will tell you, he is going to play well. I recently saw Cam Newton's latest interview he is called funky friday and uh, he i think he does it's like a reoccurring thing but in this interview he had his father on and it was his father and cam newen both sitting across from each other in the middle of cam newen's old foot high school football field and they were talking about the Patriots situation and how it went down it was a 40 minute inter- interview i saw it this morning and Cam Newen said the Patriots released him indirectly because he would be a distraction. They released him because they thought he would indirectly be a distraction. He also dismissed the rumor that Mac Jones taught him the playbook. He said, what can Mac Jones teach me about the playbook? And he said the release caught him by surprise, but he saw it coming. He felt an energy in the building and he basically felt like the Patriots waited until preseason week three after that game to basically release him. And he thought he won the job. He did think he won the job and he dismissed a bunch of numerous. Like he dismissed the rumors that Josh McDaniels dumbed down a playbook for him. He also um, talked about his dancing, creating headlines and stuff and how that was a distraction. Mm. He said a lot of things and he, the you know, he wears and I don't like think, that. Just to be fair, I don't think in that interview he came across bad. I think if you watch it, he came across very good and professional. Even though on social media, I see all these accounts like PFF and Bleach Report and ESPN. They cut a snippet of the video and they say, I beat out Mac Jones. Or they, You know, one of those quotes that make Cam look bad. Yep. But listening to the entire interview, there was not once that he knocked Mac Jones. He said they're going to win games with Mac Jones. He's ready. He said that multiple times, but he also did say it caught him by surprise, <laughs> the release. And I'm happy he said it about Mac Jones. I smiled a little bit. I saved the video on my phone. I'm going to post it later. Right. Uh, but he did say the release caught him by surprise. And my first impressions on this interview was that I think it's something that we did. We It's not like we didn't already know this, that the Patriots are a messed up cutthroat organization because from what I got from the interview and what the Patriots did is that they released Cam Newton until they kept Cam Newton until they couldn't use him anymore. Yep. As soon as they saw the opportunity to start Mac Jones, even though the entire OTAs, they had this quarterback battle. I think they only kept Cam Newton around. They knew they were going to start Mac Jones. They only kept Cam around to have Mac Jones not feeling secure in his starting quarterback spot. They wanted to make it feel like a pseudo competition. But Cam even mentioned in in training camp, I was getting the starters reps, but Mac Jones was getting more reps than me. 
he was getting more reps and that's why he felt like inevitably he was going to get cut. But I felt like they used Cam Newton to create that pseudo quarterback competition. And once they named Mac the starter, that's why they cut Cam. And Cam even talked about how he didn't think his COVID related situation had anything to do with him getting cut because he thought it was going to happen regardless. I thought what the Patriots did was messed up because Cam in that interview admitted that if they asked me to be the backup quarterback to Mac Jones, I would have done it. So obviously it's not like he had this ego that he wanted to be a starter. He wanted to be out. He was willing to be a backup, but the Patriots obviously didn't want him to. They didn't even want him to be a backup. But in in terms of the distraction thing, it sounds crazy, but I understand what but what Patriots they mean by that. Patriots players was just caught dancing in, during practice, right on Twitter, doing the same thing Cam does. But not a distraction like that. A distraction <clears throat> in the sense of, oh wow, Cam's not the starter. Media is going to be a lot more critical of mm-hmm. Mac Jones because you have a guy like Cam Newton as their backup. Because obviously Cam has had success. Cam is a pretty big deal. He he has the spotlight on him. For, he's had the spotlight on him for as many years as he's been on the, in the NFL. He means something to the culture. So in that sense, of course, I understand what, what he means by being a distraction or what team might think of him being a distraction. But ultimately, to cut him, in my opinion, well, I feel like that was a bit harsh, a little bit too under underthought. I just think that Cam Newton brings something to the table that not many backup quarterbacks give you nowadays. I mean, let's list the backup quarterbacks that are really solid in, in the NFL right now. Mitch Trubisky, I, I guess you could say Andy Dalton because he'll end up being a backup. That's the, uh, that's that's really it. Now, I mean, Gardner Minshew in Philadelphia. Gardner Minshew, Taysom Hill. That's the list. Oh, if you're gonna say that, Trey Lance. But now, nah, but there's a rookie. They're coming in. He's they're, a they're, they're gonna. They're gonna so be then Jimmy G. Exactly. He'll end up being a backup eventually. Drew Locke, I guess. But Cam Newton is. He said himself, "They're not 32 guys better than me." I agree. And with I him. do agree with that sentiment. It's just unfortunate that his biggest problem needs to be his biggest strength, and it's throwing the ball accurately, consistently. And that's where Mac takes the. You know, that's where the Patriots see Mac as the future of the. So you thought he was good. Cam wasn't going to start. I said it. I thought that Mac was going to be the starter week one. I just didn't think that Mac, that Cam Newton would get cut. Yeah. But once you find out that Mac Jones is understanding the playbook faster than Cam Newton, and Cam Newton had an entire year already with this offense, and Mac Jones is having preseason success more than Cam Newton is. That's what they're saying. But Cam Newton basically said that that report wasn't true about about him being taught the playbook. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in the sense of Mac understanding the I, I get what you're yeah. saying, but I just I have a hard time to believe that. I agree. I had a hard t- I have a hard time believing that for the sole reason that an NFL playbook is hard as hell to learn. And the fact that these guys learned it in a couple days or or weeks is amazing. But from for Cam Newton to be in that system for an entire year and now have that off season, have that playbook for this much time. And to tell me that, that a rookie and Mac Jones came in and, and like in a month or two learned it better than cam. I just have a really hard time believing that. I mean, Mac Jones has to be some next level genius mm-hmm. to do that. Or you, you or, or you think the cam Newton just isn't that smart. It's really one of the two, but 
I have a hard time believing that he knew the playbook better than Cam Newton. But if he did, then kudos to him. For but sure. he has to have some have to he has to have some genius level IQ in order to do that. Like for example, at Alabama, he taught Bill O'Brien Alabama's yep. playbook. Mm-hmm. But then again, he was in Alabama for like three years. He was in there two years before he even got to start. So he had time to learn the playbook. Is it safe to say that Tua or Jalen Hurts could have did the same thing that Mac Jones did? If they would have been... Yeah, teach Bill O'Brien the playbook just like uh, Mac? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's tough. I'm not sure. That's a tough probably, one. I, I would say probably not. But I also think it's about situation. Do I think that Jalen Hurts or Tua would have been in that building at the time? No, because Mac Jones taught... They were at a higher level. You know, well, and, I guess and, I was asking... Like, in my play. opinion, I think that... Mac Jones teaching Bill O'Brien the playbook was more so of the situation he was in. Like, for example, he was probably hanging around the Alabama campus and he just happened to be there teaching Bill O'Brien the playbook. I don't think Bill O'Brien reached out and called him Mm -hmm. and they're like FaceTiming and learning it together. Mm -hmm. I just can't. I have a hard time imagining that. So if let's say Tua was about to get drafted or Jalen Hurts was about to get drafted, I think they would have been in that same situation where they are communicating with Bill O'Brien. But since it was Mac Jones getting ready for the draft and he was around Alabama, he was put in the position to do that to Bill O'Brien, to teach him the playbook. Mm-hmm. So I think if Tua and Jalen Hurts were in similar situations, probably they don't they don't teach him the entire playbook, but they'll probably teach him a lot of it. And I don't know about the entire one, but you know So you feel like that that's probably what happened with Mac Jones too? Yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah, think yeah. for example, like, you know, if we're in the same building together, we're bound to see each other. And of if you course. have a question about the playbook, you know, I'll help you out. Uh, if I'm Bill O'Brien, I'm not going to call two or Jalen Hurts who are, you know, who I, I probably already. don't even know yeah. who they are. If I see Mac walking around the building, hey, man, I got a question. And then obviously that starts communication. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it went more naturally like that instead of Bill O'Brien just reaching out to Mac Jones yeah. and be like, hey, you're some genius. I need help with this. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, I just don't sure. think it went down like that. I do think that Cam got fucked over, though, in this situation. That's how I read it. New England way. Yeah, and I've also heard multiple times from people that uh, I know personally that know players that have played for New England, they absolutely hate it. Mm. The New England way? Yes, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, when you saw Gronk Cam... talked about it, he hates it too. When you saw Cam Newton schedule on that Sunday night football broadcast, it feels like hell. You know, you wake up at 5 in the morning, you, you have to be in the facility by 6 in the morning, and you stay there until like 8 p.m. at night and you do that the same horrible, thing. horrible, bro. Winner's way. I mean, you can't argue with it to a degree. When you have a consistent baseline of I, success, yeah, but, but do you think why that, change it for do you, anyone? Do you well, think not that... Not Tom Brady. I agree, but you get to a certain point where, you know what, we've had this success, we've done it this way for so long, and it's worked. Do you genuinely believe you need to be at a facility from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. to be successful? I, I haven't won six Super Bowls, seven Super Bowls in a span of 22 years. Something. I have a question for, a for both of you. This is my question. Do you think it's the New England way that's successful or it was Tom Brady that made it become that successful? Because we've seen coaches come from New England, go to different teams and try to instill that New England way, mm-hmm. and they all fail. I will. It, that's a tough question because there's some. There, I look at some Super Bowls. I look at some games, and I think you know what Tom had his impact on this one. I look at I look at some Super Bowls, and I think all right, this is one sided Belichick. So that question is really tough. And Brady went to Tampa Bay and first won, year and, and won. won. My thing is that Super Bowl against the Rams. Belichick won that Super Bowl. 
That defense was all world. Belichick had a stamp on that one. That was Belichick's bull. Now, where I look at Brady's impact, you go the year before against the Eagles. Brady threw for 505 and lost. How, how, how can you blame that loss on Brady? Or both Super Bowls that he's lost. Brady's left the field. Wait, winning. you're talking about our second time we played them or the first? No, in the Super Bowl. Second. Oh, okay, sorry. We played them twice. That's why I was. Confused. Oh, no, I'm just talking strictly Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm sorry. He threw for 505. No, they played in the Super Bowl. 2007. I, I know. That's what I'm saying. Oh, no, we haven't played them twice. So we lost sorry. the first time. I, well, the, the, second. the second time, yeah. yes. He, well, one of those. I don't know. If, no. I think it was 2003, actually. Yeah, it was early. Yeah, seven. Was, no, I think that was like one of the first Super Bowls I watched. I think that was 04. But um, against the, the Eagles the second time, you're 100% okay. right. Due for 505, he, he, I think the team put up, what, 35, 40 points, something, something like, like that, that. And they lost. The, the first turnover of the game ended up being the deciding factor. So there's there's a lot of things to take into account where obviously I I got to give Tom his credit, but I'm not going to say that Tom did it on his own. And I'm not going to say Bill did it on his own. But obviously the players are what gets the job done. So obviously I lean 60-40. I, I get what you're saying, but hearing these stories of how the Patriots organization treats their players and the gruesome schedule they have, to me, I think it's unnecessary. And they have won, but they have only won with Brady. Mm-hmm. Belichick has a losing record without we, Brady. We don't want to sound Gen Z. No, I we don't say, want to sound Gen Z. I want to say this kind of sounds like Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich. Like Tim Duncan is Tom Brady. Like ah, okay. and that's a good comparison. Greg Popovich. That's is, a fake um, good comparison. You know, Bill Belichick. I don't know. That's tough. I think because I think Greg Popovich is is more of a. Uh, He's still hard on his players, but he's more of a laid back well, guy too. When I say that, I just mean like you know, both of them guys just found each other at the right time, and they they those two have been the consistent. It's been guys in and out of the program, like you said, coaches going Dunk to the play. Never left San Antonio. Yeah, but I have a question yeah. too. That first year that Brady came in, that was his rookie season. He won the Super Bowl. Yeah, and he came in how long into the season? Like, was it like three games? Was I can't like off the six? top of my head. I can't remember. I can't remember, but it was early in the season. Now, that final drive that Brady had was spectacular in the Super Bowl. It was unbelievable. He got them in field goal range very fast. That was a very unbelievable, impressive drive, especially for a rookie. The score was, what, 17-14, something like that? So Defense has always been a huge factor in the Patriots' success. Every Super Bowl, other than the one, well, you think the ones they lost— they lost to the Giants. What was that score? It was a low scoring game. Uh, uh, the fir- both games were low scoring. I get what you're saying, and I'm not dismissing your point because I think obviously that the Patriots defense being so elite for so many years mostly is due to Bill Belichick. Yes. I I, I know what you're saying in that mm. department, but I think you also look at when the quarterback play has not been Brady level. For sure. They have not been a great team. I agree. And even this past season with Cam Newen. Bill Belichick dismissing the offense. You look at the Patriots' past draft picks. They haven't been good. They, mm-hmm. Most of them have been bust. Yep. You can see Belichick is not this great talent evaluator. And having Tom Brady... Ooh, you think so? At, at least on in the offensive end, okay. he's okay. not. I agree. And then you see Tom Brady these last couple of years when he was with New England turn Chris Hogan into a starter at receiver. Yep. Julian Edelman having a Hall of Fame-type career with Tom Brady who, who was undrafted. I mean... You see these signs, and I, I I would give more credit to Brady. I do. I lean and Brady. This year, I think is is make or break for Belichick, and he because if you release Cam Newton and Mac Jones stinks it up, 
I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on Bill Belichick. But at the same time, even though there's pressure on Mac Jones, I don't think there's nearly half of the pressure on him that there would have been if he was drafted number three of San Francisco. Because I remember that draft, and I remember pre-draft, everybody was going crazy at the thought of Mac Jones even going to three. If he went to San Francisco, that pressure would have been a hundred yep. times yeah. worse than what he's dealing with It was with like right the now. fans was like screaming for fields, and they was like, all right, well, we're cool with Lance. And it was like, no, we don't want Mac Jones. It was like, it's just like how the fans were. And they was like, Lance, it was like, all right, we're cool. You know? People don't go do the in-depth analysis of players. They go on Twitter. They see a picture of Mac Jones with a cigar in his mouth with his shirt off. And he's got a, a bod like a normal human being, and they think, oh, that's not an NFL-type caliber player based off just looking at him, but not taking into account his actual skill set. So that's why people were freaking out, like, oh, why would you take Mac? Because they don't sit down to actually watch yeah. Mac Jones play. T.J. Watt became the highest-paid yes, player sir. in the NFL. And an interesting story about T.J. Watt is that he actually went behind his agent's back and agreed to the deal. So because his agent was looking to get even more, more money, TJ and TJ okay Watt, he wanted to end the whole debacle, and he said, no, sign me right now. He signed the deal, so he went behind his agent's back. Did he fire his agent? I'm not sure. Nah. He probably didn't. He probably nah. didn't. But he got a four-year, $112 million contract, I believe. He became the highest-paid defensive end in the NFL. And TJ Watt, this is well-deserved. Ben Roethlisberger said it earlier in the week. You, you give him whatever he wants. This past season, he had 41 quarterback hits, 23 tackles for loss, and 15 sacks. He's a three-time Pro Bowler and two-time All-Pro. And as great as these accolades sound, I don't think that he's even as good as J.J. Watt when J.J. Watt was at the same age oh, no doing way. what he did. No way. Because J.J. Watt was a different animal. He was a different beast. But and That's not disrespectful to say Yeah, because T.J. Watt is still elite. Now that they have secured T.J. Watt, where do you think the Steelers' defense is going to rank this season? And last year they were one. And points allowed? I'm asking. They weren't one. Rams were one. Okay. They were definitely like the top six defense in the league, though, last year. They went 11-0, 10-0, whatever it was. They folded the after that. They had the third best defense in the NFL. Okay, take that into account. Okay, so I still think they'll be top seven, top six. I think, you know, you, you know, you... You got T.J. Watt. Joe, Joe Hayden's still there. He still plays at a high level. Them getting Minka Fitzpatrick, if, if I'm not mistaken, late, not late into the season, but they didn't have him the whole last year. I think it was in a trade. It was two years ago. Two years two ago, years they ago. got him midway, and, now and then they had a full season he had, last He had year. his full season in the system. Now he's back. He's fully, you know, he's, they still got him. You still got that defensive line. Now you get to keep T.J. Watt. I don't see why they make a drop-off. You know, they still got most of their core guys on defense. I think they'll definitely be a top five, top six defense in the NFL. You know, that offense just has to catch up to that defense. And if they can contain the consistency throughout the season, I don't see why they can be as competitive as they was last year. You know, last year we saw them go 10-0, 11-0, whatever it was, and that defense being as elite as it was. Now, people were trying to throw out that they wasn't playing competition at the time or in the beginning they were playing bad teams. But still, you, you play who you play and you got to guard who you guard. And I think on defense, they still have the weapons too compare with any defense in the league so I think they'll be top six at least I think they're going to drop off from three I think asking them to be three with losing Bud Dupree losing Mike Hilton losing Tyson Alalu right that's how you pronounce it he's still there it's he came back he's still there yeah 
I'm bugging. You are bugging. <laughs> He's there. Are, are you sure? <laughs> He's there. Bro, Trust just look me. it up. I, that's what I'm. That's why I'm, look, I'm looking at. <laughs> He's gone. Listen, regardless of that, he's there. He's not there. All right. Their their line's going to be good with or without he's him. Hurt. He's, no, it said he was. He left. Maybe I'm bugging. Apparently not. Joel's, he is there. Okay. Trust all right. me, he's, he's there. All right, he's the club there. too long. So, all right, you lose Bud Dupree. Obviously, he'd been one of their better defensive players outside of TJ Watt on that line, uh, that linebacking core. You lose Mike Hilton, who was very solid for for the for the secondary last season. Obviously, you had Joe Hayden with him as well, and. You lose those pieces. Secondary, I'm concerned. Joe Hayden's getting older. I don't know. I don't know what Cameron Sutton's going to do this season. It's a question. He could play very well. He, it, it's not out of the the realm of possibility. I'm just not sure he is going to fill in Mike Hilton's shoes right off rip. And I think that as good as Minka Fitzpatrick is, and as good as Joe Hayden has been over these last few years with the Steelers, I think that Joe Hayden getting a little bit older. It's going to take a toll on that secondary, and the pass rush is going to be good enough where it's going to give the secondary a break. But ultimately, I think that the secondary is going to be the reason why the Steelers lose some games. I think their offense is going to be obviously plays a part in that, as in it's been a little bit inconsistent the last two or the last season, last few seasons. Ever since they lost Le'Veon, they lost Antonio Brown. Obviously, Juju has done a decent job of filling the void. He had a solid season, touchdown total-wise. Claypool was a nice surprise last year. Deontay's a solid wide receiver, just a matter of if he can hold on to the football. But down the stretch, he, he was really solid, but really solid. But it's just too inconsistent, especially with the fact that the run game was, was spotty. But, all, but defensively, you lose these guys. Obviously, you pay TJ Watts, so that's firm. But you lose Bud Dupree. I'm thinking that they're... They're still top 15 for sure, but if they dropped out of the top 10, I wouldn't be too surprised. I don't think that Bud Dupree is that big of a loss, especially coming off of his knee injury. You don't know how he's going to be. And they picked up Melvin Ingram, who has been one of the top defensive ends with the Chargers. He's now in Pittsburgh with so many, so many great pass rushes. It's going to make his life easier. The Steelers did face pretty weak competition last year. The Giants, Broncos, Texans, Eagles, Browns, Titans, Ravens were their hardest stretch of games. Then you go on to the Cowboys, Bengals, Jaguars. It it was a fairly easy schedule. They faced tougher competition down the stretch. And you look at this season, they start off week three facing the Packers. Then they face the Seahawks week five. Then they have the Browns, the Chargers. They have some tough games. The Titans again, the Chiefs, the Vikings. They have tough games this year. But I still think this defense is good enough to be elite. I think their defensive line for sure is elite with T.J. Watt coming back. Definitely. He was going to play regardless, but now you know you have him long term. Tyson Alualu is coming back from injury. He's off that IR. He's there now. Stephon Tuitt, Cameron Hayward, Melvin Ingram. This defensive line is going to be dominant. And Devin Bush last year was absolute, absolutely amazing. Yep. He had his ACL injury, but I think... He's going to be back this year, and even if he's not 100%, they have Joe Schobert to kind of take off the load, and Joe Schobert was an amazing linebacker with the Browns. Didn't get noticed in Jacksonville because it's Jacksonville. I don't think Mike Hilton was that big of a loss, Okay, and I think Cameron Sutton is better because he can play outside and he can play inside in Mm -hmm. the slot. I think this year... 
They're going to have Justin Lane play the slot. Mm. And I think Cameron Sutton is going to be that outside corner. Last year, they're, they're starting outside corner with Steven Nelson. Yep. I think Cameron Sutton is better than Steven Nelson. And last year, he really impressed me. Justin Lane is a name to look for because he can be that potential breakout player for the Steelers this year. And Akello Witherspoon, I think, is also a guy who was solid on the 49ers. He went to Seattle, but I guess they didn't want him anymore. And now he's in he's in Pittsburgh. And I think he's a pretty solid corner. He's not a game changer, but he's a solid corner. I still think this is a top five defense in the NFL. And even though I don't have the Steelers winning the division, I think they're getting slept on. It's a tough division. I think they're getting slept on because people don't view Ben Roethlisberger as one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. But coming off elbow surgery, having that elbow injury, one year later, throwing for 30 touchdowns and having 4,000 yards passing, he was phenomenal. If it wasn't for Alex Smith coming off of that gruesome leg injury, Big Ben would have won comeback player of the year. For sure. And they were even debating whether he should win it because he came back and had a great season. Alex Smith just came back and played. Alex Smith was was a below-average quarterback, but they gave him that award because – it was a sympathy award. I, it was I, a straight miracle of God. He even laced oh, up. I, I understand what I'm you're sure. saying completely, but if we're going by what the rule, what the definition of the of the award is, I understand. It's a player coming back from an injury or a, or an off season and playing great. Alex Smith, what he did was great. What did he play great? He didn't play great, but I would have given him the award regardless too. I would I would have done the same thing yep. because Alex Smith. I saw the documentary of him getting that surgery. Crazy. They were about to amputate his leg, and he came back. But Big Ben, any other year, he's winning yeah, that that's award. His. That's why I think the Steelers are being slightly slapped on because I, I I think their defense is still top five. I think Matt Canada is going to be a great OC for them. Randy Fishner, I think, is what cost them games last year. And now the Steelers are ready to make a run. I'm not sure where they're going to finish, but I do think they're going to be in the playoff race, and they could even surprise me and finish at the top of this division. It really depends on Cleveland because Cleveland, they were good last year. They surprised us in the playoffs, but they also didn't face much competition. In fact, they were outscored by their opponents last year in the regular season. They didn't score more than their opponents, but they still won games. That is a stat to look at carefully because did the moves they make this offseason warrant them being at the top? You don't know. You know, that's a big question mark. But regardless, I think the Steelers are being slept on this season. Another thing to add, Joe Schobert going and getting added to that linebacking core is pretty is a pretty big get for them too. Uh, Schobert was really solid in Cleveland. Uh, then he went to the Jaguars, right? So yeah. he had he had a stint there. Obviously, the Jaguars weren't successful, but now you bring Schober into an effective defense. That is something to take into account. But I'm going to stay firm. I, I doubt that they, like I said, I doubt they go past 15. There's no way that happens. But I'm, I'm I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they drop around nine, ten, eleven. I don't think they go out of ten. Just cause that that secondary, I'm I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Terrell Edmonds. Is not good. He's not a good safety. Joe Hayden, it, it all banks on whether he's going to still continue yeah. to be Joe Hayden, which at this point, I'd be a fool to doubt him. But at the same time, father time catches up on everyone. And cornerbacks, shells life especially, too. It's it's a lot of wear and tear. And in this NFL, you have to be borderline perfect. And there are a lot of good receivers in the NFL. In that division, there's not the greatest weapons. I only see Cleveland wise. and Cincinnati 
No, I'm, that's what I'm saying. In that division, they, they're not going to have to worry too much about receivers other than Odell. I think Mar- Marquise Brown is a problem. This, He's I, not a problem. I think that he he finished the season Odell, last year Landry, very good. Boyd. Landry... He's he's falling off, unfortunately. He's getting he's better than you think Brown. Brown is a problem, and Landry isn't. Well, Landry is is he's shown a decline from the but year Landry's prior better to than this Brown, year. Still, I mean, yes, because obviously Landry has shown more. But Mark, he's not Brown, even that. He's shown more last season. He was better. Is but Brown my, even better than the same? My thing is, I agree with that sentiment for sure. Marquise Brown second half impressive. Is Brown even better than Sammy Watkins? Yes. I don't know about that. Yes. The thing is, though, like we were digging too much into Marquise Brown, even though I do think he's good. He's a good receiver, in my opinion, especially from what I saw from him that second half of the season last he's year. He's okay. That's fine. <laughs> he's okay. That's fine. Uh, um, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase. That's the that's where you're gonna have, they're gonna really see their you know they're really gonna be tested two times a year against a solid wide receiver core, and they're just. There's not enough talent on this in this secondary outside of Minka for me to feel comfortable putting them into a top three position again. Talking about receiver, you mentioned Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. He has made headlines because he talked about the differences between the NFL and the college football football. And Jamar Chase basically talked about his issue dropping passes in the preseason. He said that him not playing football in a year was one of the reasons why he could have been struggling, even though he said that's not an excuse. But he also talked about the differences in the balls. The NFL ball is a bigger ball, and there aren't white stripes on the ball, so you can't really locate where the ball is coming from. It's harder to locate. And that that comment got spinned off by a reporter or by one of these news websites, and the headline was basically Jamar Chase says it's tough to catch the NFL ball or it's harder. One of those two. And Jamar Chase rebuttaled that on Twitter and basically said that he never said it was hard to catch and people are mixing up his words. He said it was hard to locate. No, he just said there's a difference in the ball. Yeah, he never said it was hard to catch, though. So Jamar Chase, regardless of what he said or what he didn't say, in the preseason, he did struggle. He didn't catch the ball even on screen passes, even on short passes. He didn't catch the ball. Do you think that this is something serious or by the middle of the year, we're going to totally forget that this happened? Because right now he's becoming a meme. CeeDee Lamb dropped two passes yesterday and they said he was being, he was Jamar Chase in disguise. So obviously (laughs) he's already being memed. I think it it really has more to do with him missing a year of football. I really think that's the the, the thing right here. I think when you, you know, when you play a game consistently, you know, and then you just take a year off. You can train as much as you want, but you're not going to have that full game experience on a day-to-day basis. You're not going to have that weekly game time experience. So the game is going to feel a bit rusty to you, especially when, you know, now you went from just straight college to the NFL. So it's a it's already a different vibe, a different feeling. So I think, you know, in terms of him talking about the ball sizes, I mean, yeah, but I think it really is more of the fact that he just missed a year of football. You know, that definitely puts a toll on your body, and that definitely puts a toll on the way you have to you have to basically adjust twice because not only did you go from college to the NFL, you missed the whole year of your last year of college. So now you have to adjust from the college to the NFL. You have to adjust back to playing football because then no matter how many trainings you do or workouts you do, it doesn't get you that adjustment until you actually start playing real games. So I think it's more credited to the fact that he missed a year and he's going to be fine late in the season. He just has to get adjusted, you know, 
figure out the game, but he's going to be more than fine. But probably by like week eight, week nine. This is tricky because I think Jamar Chase is absolutely nasty at football. However, he has not looked good this preseason at all. Really not good. And it's also due in part to obviously there's been some some issues just as a whole at, on that offense. Joe Burrow hasn't been the same since coming back off the ACL. It's a quite a, a crowded wide receiver room, so it's a lot of pressure in the sense of, all right, obviously I know I'm amazing, but so is this guy, and so is this guy, and not everyone has the same mentality that the Buccaneers have taken, where obviously Antonio Brown is just grateful to be playing, and obviously he knows that Godwin and Evans are going to get theirs. But in this scenario, it's, all right, we got three guys that are more than capable of being solid wide receivers I know that I'm a top five pick in the draft, but I just missed a year, and so I'm just something's not right right now. I think he will ultimately be fine. He's Jamar Chase. He has the physical attributes to be a superstar wide receiver. I just don't know if it's going to be this season. It, it, he could definitely show flashes of it. He has the same quarterback that he had in college, so there's that timing or that that. That that chem- dynamic. Exactly. That dynamic of the game that they're not gonna that he doesn't have to worry about specifically that other wide receivers have to, to go through. But I just think that taking the year off, you need to get into physical football shape. And it could take him a few games. Like I said, it, it we'll see the true Jamar Chase next year. And we might see the true Jamar Chase even six games, five games, five games in. But it's not gonna be immediate and people are gonna be on him. And if he's not mentally tough. The league's going to eat him up quick. But I don't think that this whole ball scenario is going to be anything to think to think about, truthfully. I mean, it's people mixing up words. And ultimately, that's just what the media is going to do, and he has to learn that early in his career. I hope that Jamar Chase doesn't have the mentality that you just mentioned. Because if you're telling me Jamar Chase is saying, I don't want to step on these guys' toes, yeah. I have a problem. I agree. He's a fifth overall pick. He's supposed to be by far the best receiver in his class. If he's even thinking about that remotely. For real. I am reconsidering my pick. That's on God. Jamar Chase, he has a luxury that Panay Sewell has looked bad to. Even though Panay Sewell is going to play at his original position at left tackle now. So there's that. So Panay Sewell could turn it around. I don't think losing a year of football is really that big of a deal because I saw Micah Parsons lose a year in football, and yesterday he looked fantastic. You thought he looked fantastic? fantastic I, I thought he looked fantastic. I thought he was generating pressure. He was making good tackles. There were plays that – right. Yeah, like you, you, they, they showed this one play where he was – it looked like he was lost on the play, but that's not what happened. And even Warren Sharp tweeted it, and a bunch of NFL players came out and said, this is why you can't have analysts talking about – football because they don't even understand the responsibilities mm-hmm. on that play. Yep. Micah Parsons for the, for most of the game was supposed to be defending the run first and focused on that first. Yep. He wasn't exceptional at pass coverage, but that wasn't his responsibility yesterday. That was his second priority. And that's why he had moments of looking lost mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But Micah Parsons impressed me a ton. The only time where I looked at Micah and I thought, wow, that was disappointing was where was the play that he should have intercepted Tom Brady mm-hmm. and Leonard Fournette caught the ball over him. That was the one play that I said, Oh, Mike Parsons, he should have had that. That's why fantastic was a little bit too much, but I, I, I thought he played fantastic because I thought Dan Quinn 
basically tasked Micah with the responsibility of being an edge rusher, of being an inside linebacker, of being a weak side linebacker. He was tasking him with so much responsibility, and I thought for a rookie in his first game, like you said, taking a year off of football, he looked great in that scenario. When I look at Jamar Chase play, I see a guy that has not caught footballs due to the fact that he's scared to get hit. I see him before he's about to catch a football. He has his eye on it. He catches it. He hesitates, and then he drops it because he sees a defender coming at him and about to hit him. Yep. That's what I see. I see a guy who's not finishing his catches, and I think that's worrisome. Because Joe Burrow is his quarterback and was his quarterback in college, I feel more comfortable in Jamar Chase getting more comfortable and easing into the game. For sure. But I do think it is worrisome because in college, the biggest thing on Jamar Chase and why I raved over his skill set was his ability to make catches in traffic. It was his ability to be physically imposing over other corners. And you don't think that has nothing to do with him sitting out a full year? I don't think so. I really don't think He's so. Scared to get hit? I, I think you really don't think that. Well, scared to get hit. That's what I'm if you're about. a football player, you you understand what's coming. Of, you understand what's going to come. But it's a different level now. He's yeah. not in college anymore. He's in the NFL. Oh, these are grown men. If you think if if that's really what's bothering Jamar Chase, that's more worrisome than anything else. I agree. That's more worrisome well, you, than, a, than anything else. No, we're else. all agreeing. I I do think it it could have a slight impact, but if you're a great player. That you shouldn't ha- that shouldn't mm-hmm. have an impact on you. I agree. Well, it's only been preseason. Jamar Chase, <clears throat> I raved about him because he was a physically imposing receiver. He had a physical advantage over corners. We all knew pre-draft that he wasn't the greatest separator. So if he doesn't have that in his game, the ability to make catches in traffic, the ability to physically impose the corners that are guarding him, he is just another guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if Auden Tate is worse than him if that's the case wow because Alden Tate I think is a hell of a receiver he just hasn't had the opportunity in Cincinnati and when put him on Jamar already is I'm not giving up on Jamar because I love Jamar and I said pre-draft I would draft him over Panay just to put him in the same conversation I I think right now you could do it slightly because I think Jamar Chase has not shown nothing to say that I'm this elite guy and Alden Tate is I think he's a hell of a receiver I think he's a 700 to 900 yard receiver so should Alden Tate have gone fifth overall I'm not saying you should have gone fifth fifth overall, but right now, well, to piggy yeah, to, to, to counter to counter that point, we could be looking back five years from now and saying Jamar should have not gone fifth overall. I know right now in the moment we're saying he yeah he was a no brainer guy, but every year we have somebody like that. Like Marquise Brown was the first receiver taken in his draft, mm-hmm. and he's not remotely but he wasn't the top best. five. He was in the 20s. Yeah, but he was the first receiver taken in his draft. Mike Williams was the first guy taken in his draft. Mm-hmm. So we have those receivers Mike, in every Mike draft Williams very that, are, that are the first ones to be taken, but they aren't the best. But was Jamar, was Mike Williams or any of these guys compared to physically Randy Moss? Mike Williams was. Mike Williams was not getting compared to Randy Moss. And yet, at not Clemson, getting compared to Randy Moss. He's, si- he's like 6'5". Randy, Jamar Chase was the only one speed, route running, ability to catch over people. That that's but Jamar's all, not a great separator. I understand what you're saying there, but just the overall characteristics physically that he has. Who was another receiver that was that got Calvin. compared to great receivers Calvin. pre-draft? That's the only one I really. The well, last. I'll of give memory. you one better, Sammy Watkins. 
That's a very good Sammy name. Sammy Watkins was supposed to be legendary. Very good name. And I'm saying in his draft, he's not remotely close to the best. And that's what I'm saying that right now, of course, we're saying, yeah, Jamar should have went good five. Name. But a couple years from now, we could have been saying Devontae should have went there. Waddle should have been the pick. We could be saying all this different stuff. So right mm-hmm. now, it's really a toss-up. I know, but just to... To say Auden Tate right now. I think Auden Tate's a, a really good receiver. I, you could think he's a very good I think, receiver. I think he's better than Marquise Brown, honestly. Marquise Brown was f- tied for 15th in, to- in touchdowns last year. Okay. He had I, eight I actually searched up his second half stats because I And they were good. He had six touchdowns. 38 yards, 14 yards, All right, zero yards. Touchdowns. I just want to see his production yardage-wise. Because he could have been in the red. Come on. They could have rushed the. They were the first ranked rushing offense. So you overlooked the the one stat that he was actually good at. Wait, so they could have rushed all the way there, got in the red zone, and thrown him a little slant. I'm just saying. So so look at this. Let me look. I I got it right now. 38 yards, 14 yards, 0 yards, 85 yards, 39 yards, 50 yards, 98, 25, 41. He didn't have one 100-yard game in the second half of the season. He had a couple 80s. He had, he had two touchdowns, one touchdown, no touchdowns against the Jaguars. One touchdown, one touchdown, one touchdown. It's like he, he obviously he right. leaves out. Right. Exactly. This one's and he touchdowns. I want to see his yardage. How much of an impact the ones he that have? I actually mentioned that, that's <laughs> worth mentioning, he's just like, all right, no. Why, why would I bring that up? Because it's not going to help my point. It's cool. Let's in go on to the next topic. In 2019, when Auden Tate played, he had... Bro, you're comparing him to Jamar Chase. That's the issue. Jamar Chase, I mean, Auden Tate is good. But he's not Jamar Chase. Auden Tate, so would you take Auden Tate at, at the five. Fifth? Would you take him at five? I would have taken him at five, but I think he's a good receiver. You, you can think to he's say, a good but receiver, you keep putting but him in Jamar's category. Like, that's the issue. He could be, he's probably just as good as Jamar right now. So you would take him at five? That doesn't mean I'll take him at five. You would take him at ten? That doesn't mean that. So where you would take him? Why? Because, so, because it, okay, for so example. So is Jamar Chase I, I, a bust? I'll give you, I'm not saying he's a bust. It's way too little to say that. But it's like saying, okay. Mm-hmm. Kwame Brown. Let's say what the hell. This this my example. Oh, Jamar's Kwame. I, 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 right. I never going. said he's I Kwame. See where this is going. But this is, this is what you're asking me. I think that question is misleading and doesn't make sense because Kwame Brown, he's the first overall pick, right? Or even a better one, Anthony Bennett, because he's recent. Anthony Bennett. Let's say he was drafted first overall. Yeah. And in the first thirty games he played, we know how bad he started in the NBA. Mm-hmm. If I say I would rather take this player over him. Why is your question so you would take him first overall? Anthony well, Bennett's different. a bad example. It's, it's different because Jamar Chase, you're relying on a preseason. Bennett, you said 30 games. It was 30 actually real okay, games. Okay, so let me ask you this. At the time, because mm-hmm. I think Auden Tate is a, is a solid receiver. At the time when Anthony Bennett was drafted one, right. we all knew he wasn't a real number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. That's, one of, that's, why, that's my issue with the comparison. Okay, so I can, use, I can use a better gotta, one. I can use, use somebody with I can the use height. A, I can use a second overall pick, Derek Williams, in the Kyrie Irving draft. That's fair. Derek Williams hype. had a lot of hype. Mm-hmm. If I say, I think I would have Chandler Parsons over Derek Williams. Your counter can't be to me. So you draft the number two. That doesn't mean that. It means that because we know when you draft a player, it's off of their ceiling as yeah, well. Yeah, but Auden Tate isn't account. even a starter. So you, but you, so you, but, but by you saying that, though, you think Chandler Parsons' ceiling is just as high as Derrick Williams? It's just I think he's the better player right now. And I, I never said Auden Tate was a better player right now, but so I said that you said he's just as good. I think he's just as good and can add a lot I'm of production. Strongly disagree. Auden Tate is a really good receiver, and when he he's is, had, but the, he's not Jamar. When he's had the ability, well, technically, to play, we don't know what Jamar good. is. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we don't know so what Jamar. So for me, for you so to both ask you, me, both you, so your then Adam is, Humphreys is just as good as Jamar Chase. I don't know what no, you're saying. Exactly, Adam. I'm yeah. just saying we both haven't your, seen Jamar. Both your takes don't make sense because you're saying Auden Tate is just as good as Jamar Chase. We don't know what Jamar Chase is, but you're also saying 
well, Jamar Chase is this top five guy. He was compared to Randy Moss, but we don't we don't know yet what he is at this moment. That's why I think your question doesn't make sense. Yeah, I because get it. because you can't ask me. Oh, so I would take Alden Tate fifth. That doesn't mean that. Yeah, but you also can't say Alden Tate is just as good as Jamar Chase. I mean, he's looked better in camp. Okay. Everything, and even if you look, if you keep up with all the Bengals beat reporters, mm-hmm. which I do, and I keep up with all these guys' stats. <laughs> Yo, he kills me with that. I do. He at the, kills me with that. And I keep up with all that stuff. You look at my Twitter, everybody I'm following, I follow every single beat, beat reporter mm-hmm. from every single team. Mm-hmm. I look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. Auden Tate has been better than Jamar Chase in camp. And all camp long, they have been worried about Jamar Chase. Nobody realized that, though, until in the preseason where he actually looked bad, and now it's making national headlines. But this has been something brewing in the offseason and training camp for the Bengals this entire time. I get it. I believe a game more than training camp and it's like practice. I, I started my whole sentiment with Jamar Chase has scared me. So I'm very conscious of the fact that Jamar has looked not what we've been expecting him you to be. You also followed up by saying you still think he's going to be he's this still, guy. He still can be the guy. And just to, to, you have me just completely scrambled eggs in the brain with the fact that just Auden Tate, you're putting him on the level of Jamar Chase already. That's just, that's, that's not, I mean, Auden Tate's a good receiver. Me. He had 575 yards in, in 2019. And he only started that's good. ten games. That's good. So then uh, I'm cool. Then I'm I'm not allowed to say Marquise Brown's good, but Auden Tate with five hundred. I never I never I never Whoa, said. What are you wait, saying? Did we, did we ever say that Marquise Brown wasn't good? Yes, you no. said he's okay. You never said that. What's okay? He's okay. Is yeah, good. I said I said you he's said good. he's like game changing. That's not what I said. You said <laughs> you said he's somebody. I know you have a brain. You said he's somebody Pittsburgh has to worry about. You did say that. Yeah, and he's not. But, but, he, but he never, but he never said Auden he wasn't Tate, good. Nobody, he never said he wasn't. He said good. he's okay. That's that's fine. He but he never okay. said no, he wasn't I said good. He's good. I said he's good. I said he's good. He wouldn't give me good. He said okay. Okay. I don't get it. He's okay. So then Auden Tate is no, yeah, good. He, I, yeah, I don't, no, I think that's, that's my issue. That's my issue. We got to go to the next topic. We're spending. Way I'm too just saying. Auden Tate better than Hollywood. As a vertical threat, no, he's not better than him as a vertical threat. Okay. Let's go to the next but topic. But Marquise Brown is not somebody you have to worry about. But is Auden Tate somebody you have to worry about? Apparently. He hasn't played much. And that's what that's my But he's on Jamar Chase's level. And that's why pre-draft mm-hmm. it was a it was a big debate between Bengals fans whether or not they take Jamar Chase because after AJ left, next in line was Auden Tate. Right. And he was supposed to be the next guy. But of course When was he drafted? He was drafted in twenty eighteen. So, but of course, I think they drafted Jamar Chase more so because he had that connection with Joe Burrow. Okay. You know, but that's why a lot of Bengals fans didn't want Jamar because they thought Auden Tate was next in line. And their receiving core with Higgins, Boyd, and Tate would have still been really good even without Jamar Chase. So that's why, you know, yeah. it, you know, I, I thought Auden Tate was good and I've been thinking that for a while. So on to the next topic, the Washington football team. Curtis Samuel has been placed has been placed on IR with a groin injury. And how big of a loss is this for for the Washington football team not having Curtis Samuel? You know, I think it's a big loss, but I I, I wouldn't put it, you know, because they still have Scary Terry. Antonio Gibson, I think he's gonna take that next leap this year. And, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is their quarterback. So I, I don't think like I think Curtis Samuel would have helped because, you know, Scary hasn't had that second guy next to him, and he's still been putting up great numbers. Nonetheless, he hasn't done it with his consistent QB. He's still been doing his thing. But I think this team was really going to predicate on the defensive end, kind of like that 
you know, this team reminds me of that Denver team that won the Super Bowl when Peyton was on his last limb. You know, he was talking about he couldn't feel his hands, and that defense carried them for the year. I think this Washington team is going to kind of be like that. This defensive line, this secondary, they're going to carry this team all it's, year. It's on Denver's 25th? No, I'm not saying the defense is on your but it just reminds okay. me of a team that, you know, is going to be carried okay. by their defense. You know, the offense is going to be solid, mm-hmm. but that defense is going to be what that's going to change games for them. I understand. Them. And I think Curtis Samuel, you know, him being out, it's a bad thing, obviously, because, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you, you know, he's still a guy who can make throws. You know, he's a 50-50 guy. He can make them throws down the stretch, but sometimes he can lose you some games. And Samuel would have helped, but I think, you know, still having Scary Terry, Antonio Gibson, and they got Deami. Deami Brown. Deami They drafted him, so he can come in and he can be that number two for a while until Samuel get back. He might even surprise you and can stay at the number two, but that defense, like I said, is so elite that the offense can take a little bit of a step back because that defense is going to carry them through wins. So how long is he going to be out for? Is it three-week IR? It's probably, probably three yeah, to five. It's short IR, so it's okay. probably not going to be too long. All right. Um, so that this is also another tough one because I think that obviously you, you signed Curtis Samuel, didn't go after other wide receiver free agents, that obviously this is a, a big loss for the football team. And I was I was high on this offense, especially because I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is just a mindless QB in the sense of he trusts himself so much that he just doesn't think sometimes to just throw the ball in there because he has that much confidence in himself. And Terry was going to benefit from that. Curtis Samuel was going to benefit from that. Logan Thomas was going to benefit from that. And Antonio Gibson is is going to take a big, a lot more responsibility in the pass catching uh, sense this season too. So I definitely expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to elevate Antonio Gibson's game in that sense too. So now to talk about Curtis Samuel, it, it, it hurts, especially because of the dynamic season that he had last year, running and catching the football, uh, had over 800 yards uh, receiving last year, had about, I think, exactly 200 rushing yards last season too. He's just a, a jack-of-all-trades type receiver, and so you would have liked to have that dynamic on your on your roster. But it's three games, and the football team is going to be carried, as you mentioned, by their defense. Have a little bit of a backlash on the remind you of a Denver just just because that Denver defense is top five best of all Not time. On the same level, yeah, but. exactly. But I understand the sentiment behind it. The the defense is going to carry them. But I'm not going to sleep on this offense again. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is more is is more capable than Alex Smith, more capable than Heineke, more capable than Kyle Allen. He's going to to provide them with something they didn't have last year, and it's someone that's willing to throw the football deep down the field. So I think that it, it definitely hurts, but it's not going to kill them. I don't think this is a big loss. I think Curtis Samuel last year had a great year. He was phenomenal as a running back in the slot in the outside. He played so many different positions, and he was a Swiss Army knife for the Panthers, and Joe Brady put him in a lot of positions to succeed. Going to Washington under Scott Turner's offense, I'm not sure how they would have used him, but – I would assume he would have been the slot or an outside receiver and have snap shares with Diami Brown. Personally, for me, I think this makes it so much easier for Diami Brown to shine and really show how great a receiver he is. Terry McLaurin is going to get most of the targets. We know that he's an elite wide receiver, but I think Diami Brown is going to be a problem. And he, probably he's probably going to be better than Jamar Chase in his rookie year. That's how good Diami Brown is. He is absolute. He's an absolute stud. Ryan Fitzpatrick loving to take chance. Diami Brown is that perfect receiver for Fitzpatrick to do that with. And 
even if you're losing Curtis Samuel in the slot, Adam Humphreys has been a reliable slot receiver for a lot of years in his career in Tennessee. He was often injured, but before going to Tennessee, he had close to 1,000 yards in Tampa Bay with Jameis Winston. So going to Washington and playing with a similar-styled quarterback in Fitzpatrick who likes to throw the hell out of the ball and take chances, Adam Humphreys can have a big season, and Logan Thomas is a very good tight end. Because of that, I don't think Curtis Samuel is a huge loss because you look at their backfield, J.D. McKissick is very good as a receiving back. Antonio Gibson is a phenomenal running back. Yep. Then McLaurin, Downey Brown, and Adam Humphreys. And even behind Humphreys, you have some depth. A guy that comes to my mind is Dax Milne, who was Zach Wilson's number one receiver in college. I think he's a very underrated receiver as well. So Washington has a lot of wide receivers that can step up in the place of Curtis Samuel. And I don't think this is going to affect them much. I think even without Samuel, they'll still be around the same caliber of team they'll be. Obviously, losing him hurts because he's very close to Terry McLaurin, and he's been building rep- repertoire with Fitzpatrick. But I think Dami Brown is going to take a big step up, and we're probably going to see Dami Brown. Un- we're going to see him unleashed sooner rather than later because Curtis Samuel is out right now. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. The Adam Humphreys thing is is something that I wanted Who's to talk first about. three weeks. That's a good question. They have Chargers Week One. Go ahead, look that up while I, while I say this. Adam Humphreys is is interesting. The only thing I will say is preseason, I would have liked to to see him be a little bit more productive. He's gotten looks, but he hasn't had the catches. Like, I want to say last game he had three targets, no receptions. But Adam Humphreys was in a situation with Tennessee where obviously he wasn't Derrick Henry, he wasn't A.J. Brown, he wasn't Corey Davis. He was that third fiddle. Now you bring him into a situation where he could be the number two for, for a few weeks until Curtis Samuel comes back or unless they see something in Diami Brown come come season that they start feeding him the ball. But now Adam Humphreys is a speedy dude. He's a decent route runner. He's in the NFL for a reason in that sense. He's he's more than capable of getting open. It's just a matter of if they're going to give him the ball. And now with Curtis Samuel going out, I think that he's a reliable option. Not that he's going to be anything game-changing, but not that he's going to be this breakout player. I just think he's going to be able to, to keep this wide receiver uh, group afloat, given the fact that obviously Terry's opposite of him and he's going to be drawing the doubles all game long. So you, you think Diamond's going to be just okay? Say that one more time. You think Diamond's <laughs> going to be just no, okay? No, I think Diamond's going to be a firm player. I mean, he was a third round pick. There's I pick- mean, this this could be a blessing in disguise for him, you know, to get to crack that second spot. No. Terry was a third round pick. No, for sure. No offense to I'm just Curtis, saying. You know? I'm just saying Adam Humphreys, based off what I've seen already. I mean, he's he hasn't had the most opportunity, but... He's been all right in, in, in the few opportunities that he's gotten, and obviously he I did. thought you saw my Brown, not Humphreys. No, I was talking about Humphreys. Humphreys won't be opposite of uh, Terry, Well, right now he's number two on the depth chart. But he's a slot. Slot guy. I understand. Yeah. understand. That's tough. Yeah. yeah. Humphreys in the slot, Diami in the scary. Yeah, no. Diami, I'm... Is it Diami or... Di- I mean, feel like... I'm not mispronouncing We'll, we'll it figure it out yeah, in exactly. the comments. Still let but us know. Regardless of that, I feel like I'm not fully conscious of what Diami could be. But it's definitely possible that he shows some flashes. Obviously, third round potential. You could you could be something in the third round. I mean, North Carolina, he was awesome with Sam Howell. Sam Howell struggled without his weapons. But yeah, he, first he, game he was rough. He had a rough But he lost everybody. He lost yeah. Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Diamond Brown, Daz Newsome. He lost everybody on that offense. Future Hall of Famer, Javante Williams. Man, I don't know. Anyways. Is, he, is he better than Melvin <laughs> Gordon? Probably not. Anyways. 
on to the NBA portion of the top of the episode. Early NBA MVP prediction. Who do you think is going to be the MVP of the league? Last year, the favorite to win it was Luka Doncic. We even had a dark horse in Steph Curry. I named Steph Curry as my dark horse last year. He almost won it, didn't win it because he couldn't win enough, couldn't lead a team to the playoffs. But now that the NBA season is starting pretty soon, who do you have as your MVP this year? see what he likes to do. Just ignore it, bro. That's what I'm trying to learn, bro. I'm just understanding that he just says things and that's it. Um, I have three picks, you know. No, give one. One MVP. Let's hear it. One? One. All right, I'll give one and then a dark horse. Okay, That's I right. like that. Steph Curry. I think Steph Curry is going to be... you say that every year? Did not say it last year. I actually picked Luka last year to win it. Okay. I'm picking this year, though, because I feel like with Golden State, obviously, I really feel like if he was a higher seed, he would have won last year, without a doubt. I think he, if he was a top three, four seed, he probably... If he if he wouldn't have won it, he would have came in second place. I think this year with Clay coming back Christmas, they've kind of retooled the roster. Otto Porter Jr. is there. They picked up two rookies who, you know, Moses Mooney, I think he'll be nice for them. The same with Kaminga. They've gotten Andrew Wiggins, who looked really good last year in the offense. They got rid of Kelly Oubre. Jordan Poole is going to take another step. You love Jordan Poole. Bro, he's a bucket. Yeah, he's pretty bucket good. Bucket off the bench. But I think this team is a lot better than last year's team. And for that, I think they'll be a better seed than they were last year. And the way Steph Curry played last year, I think we can all agree he's going to probably not put the – maybe not put the 32 points up again, but at least 28, 29. Yeah, he's going to put that up on amazing efficiency because that's what he does. And he'll be in the running for the MVP. My dark horse is Paul George. I think, you know, if Paul George – Man just took his two favorite players and said MVP, MVP. Nah, look, but look though, if Paul George, right, can get the, <laughs> can get him into a top five seat and he's putting up about 27, 28 points per game, and he is that Indiana Paul George, I definitely think he can be the MVP because that's what they're going to need from him. Kawhi is not going to be there for the yep. season. They have a lot of depth, but they're going to need a star to play like a superstar for the season. Yep. And Paul George has the ability. We all know it. It's just can he put it together for a consistent amount of time. So that's my dark horse. You guys are going to hate, though. No, it's all right. I Listen. I know mean, who your MVP is. Who it's is my MVP? LeBron. Nah, he's actually not. He's not? He's he shouldn't not. be. He's Good. not. If, if anyone's going to be the MVP on the Lakers, it's going to be AD, personally, because... He won't even play enough, but continue. So actually, I think the MVP is going to be Giannis. I think that after last season, he didn't receive the votes that he had gotten the previous two years because he had had postseason runs that he just come up short, and he didn't look good and made the... The NBA's reporters look bad for saying this guy's the best player in the NBA when he comes into the playoffs and he's just not that same guy that he is in the regular season. But now that he has a championship underneath his belt, now they know he's that guy, they're going to be more willing to to, to give him another vote and, and give him another MVP. Last season, he averaged 28 points, 11 rebounds, almost six assists, a steal, a block. He is as complete of a player as you can ask for other than the fact that his jumper... It's just not up to par as it is as a Anthony Davis, as though even though Anthony Davis did take a bat, his jump shot regressed tremendously from lot from regressed as a man. A D? Yeah. I can't agree with that. But jump shot wise, his shooting last year to 2020 definitely took a step back. But regardless of that point, Giannis still put up the numbers that he had been consistently putting up and he didn't receive any love. And they gave the the, the MVP award to, to Jokic more than more than deserving of the MVP, but it's not like Giannis was a scrub or slouch that didn't do what he's been known to do in the regular season. But now, given the fact that he has won the the title, the, the finals MVP, 
I feel like reporters are, are going to be back or, you know, Giannis will be back in these reporters' good graces and they'll be more inclined to give him another MVP vote. And I just don't see him not putting up the numbers that he's usually going to put up. The team's going to be the same as it was last year. Giannis is going to continue to get better. I believe that he's going to continue to make strides in his jump shooting, and it's only going to improve his, his numbers points-wise, assist-wise. If, if he's going to be taking, taking it a step back, they're going to, to change the defense or try and scheme differently, and it's just going to allow him to get looks for his other guys. So I think that that will definitely be or have an impact on his game. Now, my dark horse, Donovan Mitchell. If Donovan Ooh. Mitchell, If Donovan Mitchell can stay healthy for a full season – We've seen what this man can do, and we saw how his team is going to be the one seed that definitely takes or that definitely plays into account when it comes to MVP talks. And Donovan Mitchell puts up the numbers. He averaged 26.4, 4, 4.4 rebounds, about five assists. Defensively, average of steal could be a little bit better, but offensively, he's one of the best two guards in the game. He's he's super athletic. He's got an amazing jump shot. His team is good enough where he can he can will his his team to another one Wait, seed look, again. You think he was a one seed last year? I, uh, Ray River, I know what you're gonna say. No, let save let, it. Let Riff no, talk. Save okay. it because no. I'm actually proud of you, Drew. Because your your first your first take with Giannis that was a great one. I'm proud that you gave a knowledge blend NBA take for once. The oh second one was bad though. Donovan Mitchell <laughs> MVP. There's no way he's gonna win an MVP. Okay. Last year, dark horse. I'm not allowed a dark horse. Well, dark horse is it, basically he's your runner-up guy. Well, explain. That's he, a, he's no, explain. no, but explain. dark horse is like a oh this. If I had uh, out of nowhere, it's a sleeper type, pick. Exactly. Last year, yo, watch how you talk on my name, la- bro. Last watch year, because you made some questionable. R.J. Barrett's going to be this all-time great player. I, mean, I said all-star. He's going to be an all-star uh-huh. for sure. He's going to be an all-star. Okay, he's gonna, 17 points at 20 years old. I think that's a pretty uh-huh. damn good player. Uh-huh. Giannis can't you be see, the Giannis can't be the the. The main player on a championship team. I mean, I said that's mostly due to scheme and coaching. Uh, no, no, you, always a route that you got to go. Skill. It's, it was a skill. Well, we know, we know no, what no, Giannis okay. is. Chris, the most Chris Middleton and Levert on the same level. I think it's, no, no, it's, it's really not. close. No, it's okay. I think it's <laughs> very go, close. Go on to your point. Wait, Ray, last Yo. episode because we're going to talk about Ben Simmons later, so I want to save it for that. You said Shea was better than Ben Simmons. You said Ben Simmons was better than Shea. You definitely did. With thousand percent, you said that, which was the dumbest mistake you've ever said. No, when did not. I say that? Pull up the next. Next. I, I next. was just watching the video. I'd have you it. did. You just say it. Okay. <laughs> and he said ben, he, to take Ben Simmons over Fox. That so. and that I I a hundred percent I'm upset at myself. Oh, so you take it back. Fox is better than than Ben Double Simmons for sure. Oh, so you're allowed to be wrong, but I can't. I understand. You're <laughs> never wrong. You never admit when you're wrong. I always admit when I'm wrong. <laughs> I'll admit when I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> when, so. <laughs> I, but just go on to whatever you're gonna say, bro. Just I don't. I don't. don't get person, I'm not, just go, I'm not bro. wrong often. That's really the thing about <laughs> bro, me, bro. I just named three off the top of my head that you're just egregiously wrong. But again, go ahead. The Giannis thing, I admitted it though. He did. I, yeah, you yeah. had no choice. It's not that I didn't have no a choice. Had I could have no doubled down on it if I wanted to, and you would have looked dumb. <laughs> but Riv, yo, last year throughout the NBA season, we were banging on a table for Donovan Mitchell to get recognition for the MVP. He was the number one seed. We said, how was this guy not in the MVP conversation? He wasn't even top five at the time, being the number number one seed with Utah playing as great as they were playing. At the time, they had an 11-game win streak, and he still wasn't in consideration. So nothing can change the fact that Donovan Mitchell, because he plays in Utah, is not going to get that recognition. And 
nowadays in the NBA to win the MVP, you have to have triple double like numbers with Luca putting up 29, nine and nine Mitchell. It's not good enough for him to put 26, six and four because of that. He won't be in that MVP conversation, but Giannis was my pick because I think now that fans and voters and media guys don't have voter fatigue over Giannis because he's won a championship, albeit being beating a injured Nets team. Giannis last year should have been a top three MVP candidate, but because of the numbers and the voter fatigue that happened with him, he wasn't in that discussion. So who would you have took out? Curry. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Because he didn't win. That's fair. That's fair. Because he didn't win. Giannis was the second seed in the Eastern Conference. Or no, third. He third, was the third, third seed. Yeah. The Bucks were the third seed in the East, and he was putting up 28 and yeah. 11. Because of that, he should have been in that conversation. He was putting up close to Joel Embiid numbers, but because voter fatigue, he didn't get that consideration. But now this year, coming off a championship, who's going to be MVP? You know, most of the top players are teamed up with each other. LeBron won't be in consideration. AD won't be. KD, Harden, Kawhi is hurt. So, like, Steph is the only guy in the top five that can even be in the conversation next to Giannis because he's not playing with another superstar player. And my other pick would have been Jason Tatum, though. What about uh, Jokic? I think Denver falls off without Murray. Mm. And I think Jokic would have never won last year if it wasn't for NB getting hurt. And Jokic was another guy that we thought should have been the MVP last year. He didn't get his respect until Embiid went down. Yeah. But we were talking about Jokic the entire year. I think Tatum is a good pick. He just has to keep them, you know, as a top three, four seed. That's the hard part. Mm -hmm. You know, if Boston can finish as a three seed, then I think he can win MVP. You know, and that's the same thing with Luka. Maybe Trey Young can be in that conversation if he puts, if Atlanta is that great of a team next year. But if he's not, then... You know, it's not gonna. It's, he's not gonna be in an MVP. So Tatum, Tatum's a good MVP pick in your opinion, but Donovan Mitchell isn't. The only reason Donovan isn't because of where he plays. Even Devin Booker was getting more MVP love. But I don't understand that where he plays. Utah, he plays in Utah. They were mm-hmm. the number one seed last year. He mm-hmm. they, statistically Utah was putting up record numbers for, sure. for a team. He wasn't even top seven or eight. I think Julius Randle was getting more MVP. He also didn't. He he missed a no, decent amount of games. That was that was after. Yeah, that was that after was, the fact. Donovan he, Mitchell throughout the season, he wasn't getting no love. Because if, but why if, though? You, but understand what I'm saying. I, I understand know. what you guys are saying in that since He's getting no love. But he's still a good player. He still no, he's, puts up. I think but, he's phenomenal. But that's what I I'm not understanding. Are you trying to knock me for saying Donovan Mitchell is going to be the MVP because? reporters aren't going to give him votes because he plays in Utah, and I'm supposed to take that into account? No, we're confused. Or am I solely taking into account his basketball abilities and what he actually does on the court? We're confused because he did everything he could to be the MVP last year. He didn't and he didn't get, get consideration. I, and I understand. I understand that. So what is he going to do this year? I mean, he still averaged 26, and his team is still good enough to still Well, you're contend. mentioning everything that are, that are that's given. We know that. But, we but know, last, exactly. But, but last year he why? wasn't Last year he wasn't in the MVP conversation. Mm-hmm. At any point of the season. No, I understand. At any point of the season. And, and you're talking about injuries and stuff. Mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell was was healthy for the majority of the year. And that was when Utah was great. When he went out, they cont- they continued to win. Yeah. But they weren't as good. But even before his injury, he never got a top five MVP consideration. He was never in that top five conversation. Trust me, we was, ra- we was trying to so get you, him so you, So let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. Last year, he averaged 26 points per game. Mm-hmm. So is him averaging 28 a game? 
gonna gonna be the difference with him being an MVP conversation? I feel like if he if he brings it from around twenty eight to thirty, his team's still the number one seed. I, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Utah his team, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's a good point. But Utah I, was by far the number one seed at that before Mitchell got hurt. They were by far the number yeah, one seed. For sure. So you're saying that this year you expect Utah to be the same team, number one seed by far? I'm, I'm saying it's possible. I'm saying it's a possibility. So, okay, so what for him? To- but we've we've seen Mitchell be the number one seed yeah. by far, put up 26 points. He also did miss 19 games last year. It, w- that was before. We're not talking about those 19 but games. But I'm just saying he still missed 19. Like, what, but that what? Embiid probably missed the same amount of games. So I'm he just going to tell you right now. But I, I think week, that Embiid should have won MVP last year. Every week. They come out with MVP rankings and the MVP ladder in the NBA. Every single week they come out with that. Okay. Mitchell was, it's not like he had injuries left and right and he missed this game and that game. Right, he missed why, games towards the end of the year. What does that have to do with him still playing well? Every single Reporters N- can't miss? This is not, you're, you're not understanding what we're saying. I agree, but every you agree single with that? MVP ladder, he wasn't in that. I ladder. understand what you're saying, dude. But who played better last year, CP3 or Donovan Mitchell? CP3 got more consideration. That does not. That has zero to do with that's what our I'm point, talking. Though. But that's I, our but point. Yeah, I get your point. But I'm talking about basketball, not the reporters. Oh, we're with you on the basketball. Part. So we're then, with what, you on then, the basketball then, part. then what are we arguing here? Well, we're talking about part. the MVP pick, and to be the MVP, you have to but get past these barriers. I'm talking a dark horse. Donovan Mitchell is a dark horse for the MVP. He has the skill. So you think Mitch was be, a better pick than Tatum? I mean, I'm not saying Tatum's a bad pick. I think that's a better pick. Consider the fact Tatum's that a way better. He's going to get more love because where he plays. I understand that that aspect, but regardless, it's like you're not you're knocking Mitchell. Oh, but and if for MVP vote for we're MVP, not knocking Mitchell at all. Not you just once. said my my NBA take was trash. That's how you started your <laughs> your your analysis. No, I said your your first one was good. The no, Giannis I, I one was great. I don't want to hear it, bro. The Giannis, like, my Giannis one was great. Because then I took your thunder, I guess, so bro had to throw some shade underneath it. It's like, come on. It's like, the, Gian, it's not, the Giannis one was great. Of course it was. Yeah, you probably looked at my notes. Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> come Don, on, bro. Donovan I, don't to, Mitchell, I don't write anything down. It just comes straight off the dome. Oh, no, I got it well, like no, that. No wonder. Now I know why. Uh-huh. <laughs> Listen, you got to do the research. You got to. I don't have to. I could, <laughs> I could go gotta. dolo. I could go dolo. You guys are crazy. Donovan Mitchell. We're talking about the MVP conversation. Mm-hmm. And last year, he was not once anywhere to be seen and that in was, the discussion. That's incorrect, in my opinion. Me too. It's not that it's not if it's incorrect or if it's correct. It's that what me and Riv just named you were facts of what I, happened I, last I, I season. I understand it. I understand what you're saying, but that has nothing to do with the basketball aspect of what I'm talking about. That's it. It has to do with the MVP consideration, though. I guess. And that's, a, the, that's what you want to hold on to. The topic was who's going to win the MVP. It wasn't... Who's the better basketball player? Uh, but it's who's going to win MVP. And when you talk you about MVP, MVP awards, old politics. I got it. I understand. And when you talk about a guy the MVP like Jokic, you have to bring Denver, everything why into. Why can't it? Mitchell? Because Jokic was averaging like a triple double. He definitely was. He definitely and Jamal was. Murray was out, and he still kept his team afloat yeah. in the Western Conference, and they finished with the third seed. That's why you know Jokic was on a different level mm-hmm. with Utah. There are so many different guys because Jokic led every single advanced analytic in the NBA. Donovan Mitchell doesn't even lead the advanced analytics in Utah. That's Gobert and yep. Mike Conley. So when you vote on that, you look, oh, Mike Conley has a better net rating. Yep. Gobert is impact, this impactful on defense. You take everything into account. And Donovan Mitchell, his box stats are amazing. But in terms of analytically, he's not an analytics darling. And that's exactly why and he's not in the team was still winning when mm-hmm. he went down. So that, you know, that plays a part, too. And that was with Mike Conley and Mitchell going down. And yep. Rudy Gobert was the one to hold that. Down the entire time. No, for sure. So that's what we're talking about with the MVP pick. You know, yeah. it's not just who's the better basketball player. 
But with this topic, we're going to talk about who's the better team. Hey, here the we Lakers go. or the Nets. You know, the Lakers signed DeAndre Jordan, which Lakers fans think is a great move. It's a bad move. It's obviously not a good traded move. Traded Marc Gasol. Um, it is what it is. They traded Marc Gasol, so now it frees up minutes for DeAndre Jordan to come in and suck. Yeah, I'm and, sick about and that. And John Rondo also was a signing. Are the Lakers better than the Brooklyn Nets? <laughs> the Nets are better. Like, easily. Like, no, it is, it is pretty easily. Listen, the Lakers... They, it's, you know, the Nets, the Lakers, they both have injury concerns. You know, both of their stars get hurt. Aside from the Lakers, I think they have a more of an AD injury concern. LeBron, he's nine times out of ten going to be healthy. Westbrook, we know how his vibe. He's nine times out of ten going to be healthy. With Brooklyn, it's KD, nagging injuries. Harden, ever since he got to Brooklyn, he's been hurt. But Kyrie, throughout his whole career, nagging injuries. But I think the depth that the Nets have added have kind of fit better to what they do more than you know, the Lakers, the Lakers got a bunch of guys who are, you know, a little bit old and really don't have it. With the Nets, though, Patty Mills, LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, guys who still can put up 13, 14 points a game. BG's still solid. And then the draft, they did really well in the draft. The Lakers, I don't even know who they picked in the draft. They managed to keep one guy from their core, from their championship core, THT, and of course, obviously, LeBron and AD. They managed to keep those guys. But I think you know the Nets can go eight nine deep. I don't. I don't know if the Lakers can definitively go eight nine deep and match up with the Nets. So I just think you know with the Nets and being as uh, like you can match. Let's be honest, bro. LeBron, KD, Harden, Kyrie. You put any guys with them guys, bro, in their win. You got the best player in the league. You got two top six guys, and you got three of the top five scorers in the NBA. On the same team, the Nets, the Lakers don't have the personnel to guard or defend the Nets. One thing, I just go straight off what you said. You said we can't go eight nine deep. All right, with them, with them, with the Nets, with the Nets, with the league, fair. With the Nets, I was going to no. say because going off the ro- Russell Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk probably is the third option in that sense. Obviously, he's not. He's a good scoring option off the all bench. Right. Off the bench, that's yeah. all I'm saying. Is he start? He's not starting. I don't think he will start personally. I think THT is going to get the the nod. Is Malik Monk better than Wayne Ellington? No, no. That's I didn't even get to Wayne Ellington either. So then you have obviously Wesley Matthews, who's going to get minutes. LeBron, why? Because Wesley Matthews just gets minutes on our he squad needs to for stop. some reason. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> he's going to get minutes over Ariza. He's just he's going to get minutes. No, he I'm finds asking, a way to get well, minutes. We, he has to play over somebody. I agree. No, Probably not a reason. Is I'm he playing over? A, wait, a, is he playing over? Team. Is he playing over Monk or Ellington or THT? He will. He will. I'm telling. I'm not that I want him to. He will. I think he's saying no matter what. Wesley's he's going to. Do you do you be objective in this sense um, instead of just saying it? No, I don't think he gets minutes over none of them. Okay, and how unless about Monk you? Don't is, think uh, he gets minutes unless and Monk if he plays small forward, does he play over Ariza or does he play over Melo? Neither of them. No, but if, he I would shouldn't. Say, I want to say he this. Shouldn't. If Monk is not hitting shots, mm-hmm. Wesley will take his minutes very fast. I, I think agree. he has a short leash. I agree. And for some reason, the Lakers trust Wes, and I, I don't understand why. He's I, a hard, solid he, player. He plays hard he, on He's defense. a solid player, but just given the new additions that we've made, uh, Melo, Ariza, Ariza defensively, I mean, you trust Melo Monk offensively. more than Matthews right now? The thing is, Matthews is very hit or miss. Obviously, Malik Monk is too, but we haven't seen him in a, a situation where he's in a— a winning organization. He's been on the Hornets for a while. Last year, obviously, was that first glimpse of any kind of good team that he's been on. Good team. Obviously, they made the plan. 
But he he did his thing. He, I mean, he definitely was the best he's probably been in the league thus far. So I do think that probably Monk is over Wes Matthews right now. But Wes Matthews, from what I've seen with the Lakers, we give him minutes for 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 whatever reason. But we do give him minutes. Now to go back to my initial point, LeBron. So you're gonna make me recount. We got Russ. Rondo's probably gonna get some minutes, even though I think that he's more of a coach at this point. Uh, you have Kendrick, Malik. Wesley, LeBron, Dwight will get minutes. This is where you confuse me. If you have none in Rondo, they're both not going to play. No, I agree. I'm just saying, depth wise, we have a deep team. But does it match up with Brooklyn? But you said eight nine. We don't have the eight nine to to do it. Let's see. So you'll have LeBron playing, obviously. AD playing, obviously. Probably Ariza in playing defense. We'll see where that what 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 happens with that. I'm not sure if Dwight's going to be the starter. If anything, my opinion, I think that Anthony Davis needs to play the five in order for us to have a chance against the Nets. Because right now, in terms of of teams that are constructed more suited to their strengths, the Nets the Nets are the more complete team in that sense. But in term not complete, the more focused oriented into their strength right. but as it comes to complete as a whole i think the lakers defensively are better than the nets offense of offensively the nets are one of the best offensive teams we've ever seen but it's not like we don't have the firepower to at least compete given the fact that our defense is as good as it is and if anthony davis is playing the five that's where we have it that's where we can actually give them a real series and really contend with them but more suited to their strengths, the Nets. But as a whole, I'm taking the Lakers. This shouldn't even be a question because uh, the Nets are way better than the Lakers. There's nothing you can say to try to convince any smart person otherwise. When you look at the Lakers, six of the 12 oldest players in the NBA play for the Lakers. Tough. And those are players that are going to be in that rotation, right? You have Ariza is one of them. Gasol just got released, so now he's not there. He got traded to Memphis. I'm upset about that because he was the only big that could actually space the floor for us, other than AD. But you look at the Lakers. Their starting lineup is probably going to be a mess. They can't figure out that center position. If AD wants to play it, he could play it. He but play the five. He, he hasn't been wanting to play it his entire career. When we won the championship, career. he played the, the five. In spurts. That's all he needs to do. It. Against the Suns, he did it. You have Russ... You have Rondo, LeBron, Melo, AD, Howard, DeAndre Jordan. THT. I'll tell you Didn't one thing. The 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 Nets, Nets fans threw a championship parade when DeAndre Jordan was trade was released, was, was traded so to the Pistons. Upset about that. They threw him a parade and the Lakers picked them up because right now they're just stacking a bunch of names. You look at the names, oh, they have fifty six combined all star appearances, and you think, wow, that's such a great team. The Nets actually have players that are good now. Like, Blake Griffin is still good now. Paul Millsap is still good now. LaMarcus Aldridge, last year with the Spurs, was averaging 14 points per game, went to Brooklyn, and was good for them. Agreed. They're still good now. AD last year was phenomenal in the playoffs, and his crazy efficiency had a lot of people thinking about what he could be the following season, me included, because he shot close to 40% from three in that playoff stretch. But the reality of AD is that he's not a great outside shooter, at least three-point shooter. I agree. His career average is 31%, and this past season he shot 26%. So you're telling me you're surrounding LeBron with Russell Westbrook, who is not a 30% three-point shooter, AD, who is a career-best 34% three-point shooter, 
then who else? You know, Trevor Reeser or Wayne Ellington and some of these guys. What's this is just key? this I'm he's he doesn't even shoot over 30% from three. This is such a discombobulated roster. And the same thing that happened this past offseason is going to happen this offseason. Last offseason, they got Schroeder. They got Montrez Harrell. And what did everybody say? The Lakers won the offseason by far. <laughs> then the playoffs come. You know, the Lakers have their injuries, whatever you want to call it. They don't look so good against the Suns. AD goes out. Even during the season, they had some rough stretches when LeBron was out. They couldn't score at all. And then in the playoffs, LeBron quits on his team in game six, even though Kevin Durant led a furious comeback against the Bucs and almost won that series. And airballed the game winner. Yeah, very. After playing 55 minutes, I'd airball it too. I think every player would airball it, but, you know. Wah, 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 wah. LeBron, I don't think LeBron had a 30-point game in that game against the in that, in that playoff series against the Suns. KD had two yeah, close to 50 points. Point games and get against the Bucks and lost. Just, I, between between LeBron and KD, KD's obviously the better player right now. But talking about the Lakers, just like this offseason, they're they're getting all these players and everybody is praying and hoping Carmelo, you know, can win a championship because everybody wants to see Melo win a championship. I'm a Knicks fan, me included. I want to see Melo win a championship. But the bottom line is that when the playoffs come, we're gonna be sitting at this table and saying, "Man, LeBron has no help." You know, Drew is over here. Yeah, we can go nine deep. But then when the playoffs come around, LeBron has no help. His ankle is acting up again from last year. Oh, LeBron, he you, do you see who his help is? It's a 38-year-old Melo, 36-year-old Melo. And then you're going to blame everybody but LeBron. And then we'll come back to this video and say, wow, Joel was right. The Lakers are not a good team. And even though they're the favorite to face the Nets, I'm not sure they're going to make it to the finals. Riv, you and I, we have Golden State over them if they face in the series. I think Steph Curry. Because yeah, you guys are both dumb. I but. think I think Steph Curry is, <laughs> is is better than LeBron James right now, and I think Clay Thompson. You I know, even, that, e- even though even though Clay Thompson isn't going to be the defender he was, he's definitely going to be the sniper he was before his injury, and he's going to be great still. Stick to the Nets, bud. Oh, I'm just talking about the teams that are going to beat the Lakers. You know, I think the Lakers are going to have yeah, a tough so stick, time stick in the playoffs the because. Riv, who is probably the worst superstar performer in the playoffs of J- recent James history? James Harden? No, Russell Westbrook. Russell, Russell Westbrook quite easily. Really? Over James Harden? <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, you think you think Russ is over James Harden in terms of playoff performance? No, I do <laughs> uh, You shouldn't. You shouldn't. He's pretty bad. But I think, you know, playing with LeBron's going to help a little bit. You know, he's not going to have Dax to do too much. Agreed. But he's going to have to play defense when he plays the Nets. For sure. And I don't know what they're gonna do defensively if AD's at the five. KD's gonna have is gonna take him on the I mean, perimeter. We've seen. Look, I mean, Russ. I'm not even worried about defense. He can play defense. Okay. It, it's just on offense, he's gonna get left open, and nobody's gonna worry about Russ unless he has some Rajon Rondo in the bubble out of body experience and hits forty percent of his threes. I don't see Russ doing this ain't much. The bubble no more. Last time. We saw KD and LeBron in the finals. Who was better? Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Okay. So <laughs> off that assumption, I can say that if we see them this time in the finals, dude, you're KD, a smart kid. KD is, will be better. You're a smart kid. He's very witty. KD you got to start acting be, like it. KD will be better than LeBron like in the finals. Start acting like it. Between Kyrie and Russell Westbrook, yeah, who Kyrie. I think is going to be, I have Kyrie too. Uh, I think AD over James Harden is the only one that I'd lean AD because of James Harden's playoff history. Mm-hmm. AD but can definitely. He can definitely play better than Harden. He can play but better than LeBron. 
He could. I, he could. I That's agree. a huge possibility. He has to, actually. He was better he, than LeBron he, in, versus he in the Sun Series. To. He has to. The bottom line is that the Lakers are nowhere near as good as the Nets. And I'm happy because after the season, <laughs> James Harden's going to win a championship and he's finally going to get that trophy he needs remember, and that ring he needs. Remember when you said you say that about Curry every year about the MVP? <laughs> it's a broken record with this guy. You know what's the thing about you guys? I think AD like has to be the best player on your team, but oh, I don't sure. think his best performances can match Kevin Durant's. I think LeBron's is, okay. and that's where it's going to hurt you guys. That's I don't think the best AD is even close to the best Kevin Durant, and that's where you need LeBron to be. I don't think he can be that at this point. That's a very good. That's a very good sentiment that you're saying right there. One thing I will say is I do think AD will be good enough where he's going to be dropping around 30 to 35 points in the playoffs, yeah. especially against a Nets team that can't defend against him. Mm-hmm. There's no one that can defend Anthony Davis. I still think LeBron averages 25 to 28 points come playoffs time. You're going to need more He's not nece- against the Nets. Not necessarily, because defensively, we still are a solid defensive core. The struggle is going to be guarding Kevin Durant, of course, because Kevin Durant, there's no one that can guard him. James Harden is going to be an issue because I still, as long as he's healthy, he's going to be a problem. Kyrie Irving is going to be a problem. It's those three guys. Their, their bench unit is, is all. The shooters uh, there. You can't double team. So they have they have Joe Harris, they have Patty Mills, Patty Mills shooting wise. L.A. I'll probably put L.A. and Patty out there. I trust Patty more in the playoffs. Let's say because when Anthony Davis starts cooking Kevin Durant, Lamarcus Aldridge is gonna be forced to come in. Nah, or Blake Griffin's gonna be forced to come in. One of these guys. Nah. So what's gonna happen? KD's gonna move to the five. They're gonna let and the they're, Lakers they're, have the advantage. They're there. gonna let AD and KD go bucket for bucket, and we know it's gonna win. Uh, the the guy who's second best player is LeBron, right? Because Anthony Davis could be the best player on the Lakers. He could be. He he easily could be in a in a single series. Anthony Davis could impose as well and be the best player Agreed. in a series. In my in my humble, I opinion. think he has to guard. Kevin Do you Durant, think though? the Lakers have a better roster than the than these past Milwaukee Bucks? Mm. That's a good question. That the is, Bucks have just won a championship, of course. Do you think they have a better roster? That's that is a tough question. Offensively, are they better? I I will say yes because our second best player is Anthony Davis, and theirs is Chris Middleton. And I think that Anthony drop da- off from AD to Chris is pretty yeah, it's it's pretty significant. And then Russell Westbrook's our third best player. Drew Holiday and Russell Westbrook. Would you guys lean Drew at this point? I would lean Drew. Really? I would take Drew. It's close though. Yeah, that's let, what let I'm me saying. Ask so this, that's though. close. And then Anthony Davis is still the guy. And then we bring in guys like Melo, Wayne Ellington, Trevor Ariza. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, who's not going to be forgotten on this team. THT, of course. You believe that the Nets had a horrible defense. You don't think they're good not defensive horrible. at all? No. Do you think they're a good defensive team? They are good. They are. They're a pretty solid defensive team. And you think the Bucks were a great offensive no, team last year? No, they're they're an unbelievable defensive team, a solid offensive team. I mean, they were top five in offensive rating last year, the Bucks. And in the regular season, of course. I mean, in the playoffs, they had some high No, they games, definitely but. did, but then they also won a game scoring 80-some points. All I'm saying is I that— I remember that game. <laughs> like, dude. That's against Miami. The Bucks And against only the Nets, scored, too. They, no. Didn't they go into—was that the—did they go into overtime that game? They only scored they two sh- buckets? Offensively, they killed them. Game three. Game three. It was game three. Well, game three. The Bucks only scored over 110 points one time in that Brooklyn Nets series. If the Nets can— do their best job containing Giannis, and as much as they can, I think they'll they'll be pretty good against AD, especially since yeah. AD doesn't play the way Giannis plays. Understand? Giannis is a bulldozer to the basket. AD is more finesse player. He's gonna he's gonna 
settle for mid-range jump shots. Mm-hmm. He's going to do he his thing them. at top. He can make that. No, he can, but he's going to settle for those jump shots. I understand what you And if saying, you yeah. have a player like Paul Millsap who's going to be rough with him. I'm not worried about it's, Paul it's Millsap. Gonna, it's, I mean, we've seen Anthony Davis before. He doesn't do well when players are physical with him, and that's why Draymond Green has so much success against Anthony Davis. Yep. So if you can have Paul Millsap rough him up and be physical with Anthony Davis, he could neutralize him in that series because he's not the he's not the player Giannis is in terms of the mentality of I'm just going to go to the basket and straight line you and score on you. Before you say what you're going to say, I said nothing. One thing I will say is, you know, people were trying to say that DeAndre Ayton was being rough-nosed with Anthony Davis and that's why he struggled in the first game. The next two games he goes and he gives him 34, back-to-back games. Did people say oh. that? Uh, no, actually, now I have something to say. Um, it's different. AD is going to kill a seven-footer who's slow on his feet. The reason why Draymond is so good on I'm not him, saying Draymond. No, I'm saying, like, just the reason Paul why... Millsap? Paul Millsap? Paul Millsap is good to smaller guard, Smaller bigs are be- that better defend AD because they're quicker. That's why they, they get rough with him, because mm-hmm. they, they're quicker on their feet where they can stay but with But you understand him. what I'm saying with Deion? Yeah, so yeah okay. I, no, I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. but he's bigger. He's a little slower on his feet. AD's going to be the slow guy. He's going to take you For out. Sure. He's be, and versus but, Milwaukee, the Nets virtually couldn't go into a zone-type defense because of the shooters they have. Yep. Against the Lakers, that's very easy to do, especially because of Ross. You can double that's the only thing killing you guys. You can double LeBron or AD at any point in the game because I, Ross I is going to be left over. I'm not going to be ignorant. I am concerned about the three-point shooting, but I think Melo is going to be a good three-point shooter for oh, us. I, I think that Wayne Ellington is going to be a good three-point shooter for us. I think Anthony Davis needs to go back to that 2020 three-point shooter that he was. If he is that... 33%? I mean, that's better than... Tw- what I think was 33% it, tw- is cool. I'm fine with that, especially the fact that he is a, as much of a force as he is as a big man. Whatever he wants to do on the post, his mid-range game, mid-range game is still one of the best for bigs, arguably the best for bigs. I am concerned about the three-point shooting. I would like to go see us before the trade deadline, obviously, sometime during the season, go out and make a move for a three-point shooter because... That's our weakness, and obviously, the Nets' biggest strength is their shooting. But I still am, I'm I'm firm on our roster right now. You you mentioned that I'm going to be you know pressed about it come finals time. I've already been. You guys got to get there first. Ex- that's that's the Nets too, because the Nets we're supposed to be certified finals well, the bound last year. The only thing that's year. stopping them is health. The only and, thing uh, that's stopping I, you guys is some lights can do from um, the back. Yeah. My God, come on, bro! Like it all, that all banks on 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 Clay Thompson. That all banks on Clay Thompson. It does, but we have an AD stopper, so we do. Draymond is an AD. Yeah, stopper. he's he's the only he's he's really good at it. So. And they I, have Wiggins to guard LeBron. Wiggins and you have was Westbrook. Great on LeBron. Steph is gonna. Uh, anyways, continue. He's kill Westbrook. Yeah, continue what you're what you're saying. I really have nothing else to say. I, I, I'm I'm firm with the roster that we have is so all I'm saying. So you're fine with the roster? Like you no, no. I want a three-point shooter. I'm saying right now, as is, it's not a bad roster. We're going to start. Yeah, exactly. It's a really, really good roster. And as a whole, it can compete with any team in the league. Okay. But in terms of a seven-game series against the Nets, our, our weakness is what we need is shooting. So bank, call the series right now. I think that if, right now, as is... Like I said, Nets are more constructed towards their strength. And we our strengths right now are, are a little scattered, even though it is defense, but it's not everyone that's honed in on defense. So preseason you have Nets and probably six. Yeah, exactly. Nah, Nets and seven. So you think LeBron loses a game seven? I didn't take that into account either. So <laughs> if anything, Nets and six. Okay. I'm glad you're on the Nets bandwagon. I'm, I, I mean, <laughs> that's what you want to say, but 
Lakers could be any team any given night. And in a seven-game series, I'm not down in LeBron. Seven-game series or in game seven? Seven-game series, I'm not down LeBron. So you didn't doubt him in Phoenix versus Phoenix? <laughs> you didn't. You was fully confident. That's my favorite player. Obviously, I'm not going to lose faith in my guy who's never failed me ever. Hey, got to live with those. You live with those. It is what it is. Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley were on a podcast together, and they talked about Ben Simmons. And two L's. Charles Barkley nah. said that he was disappointed in Ben Simmons because he got a $200 million contract, and he hasn't gotten better. And then Shaq said to Ben Simmons, he talked to him directly and said, you're not that good. You're not great. You're not that good. And what do you think about that? You know, what are your thoughts on Charles Barkley and and Shaquille O'Neal calling out Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons. Also, there was a report that came out from Brian Windhorse. He was on the jump and reported this, that one of the messages that Ben has sent back towards Philly is that it's not his job to fix his trade value. It's not his job to correct his trade value or raise his trade value. What do you think about that riff? This guy has become a full fledged diva. It's well, first Shaq has this weird way with the way he talks to new NBA players. Now he thinks destroying them publicly would get them better. I agree more with Chuck's comment than anything. You know, you got paid $200 million, you didn't get better. I definitely 100% agree with that. He has, they've given, they gave him franchise money, and he has not. He's actually got, he regressed. Boom. He's regressed. Let's go, baby. As a, as a player since he's gotten that money. And I think it really becomes a spotlight thing in the playoffs. You know, I think in a regular season, People are okay with you putting up those 16, 8, and 8 numbers, playing elite defense throughout the season. Like, we're fine with it, okay. But it's in the playoffs when they need you the most, they need you to be effective and more aggressive, and you have not done that, you know, especially last year. You guys were the number one seed. You had a chance to lay Atlanta down, go see Milwaukee, and you guys just folded. Specifically, you, Ben Simmons, you did not show up for Joel Embiid the way you needed to. You didn't show up for your city. So I think Chuck's comments are more in line with, my theory, too. I think I agree with him more. Shaq, you know, he'd just be going crazy. But I think in terms of— did he say something about Mitchell last year, too? Something? Yeah, and then he tried to double down. He's a weird guy. Mm-hmm. But um, Shaq, you know, go all that good stuff. Sure. But um, in terms of Ben texting Philly like that, yeah, he's a diva. I don't, I don't know what his problem is. This is, he, this is all his fault. You have done this to yourself as a player. Now, Philly's a tough city. The Eagles are tough. The, the Sixers are tough. They done they didn't— Carson Wentz in the dirt, Donovan McNabb in the dirt. They didn't done T.O. dirt. They didn't done Embiid dirt. They didn't done Ben dirt. Like, they didn't done players dirt. They even bashed AI for a little time. Like, they've done it to every great player. That city is a tough city. So the fact that you think you're above it when you're not Embiid, you're not AI, you're not Donovan McNabb, like, you're not these players. Yep. You're barely you're barely over Tobias Harris at at this moment in time. So the fact that you think you're above and beyond, you're this high-caliber LeBron-like player, is a really weird thing. I think he needs to take ownership of what he's like, what he's accomplished. Don't get me wrong; we all believe you can be a great player. You have the tools, but he needs to take ownership of his his wrongdoings and what he's done in the past and why he's in the situation. And he needs to. It's his job to make the situation be- better because the reason his trade value is low is because of his play on the court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is tough for me. I know it's tough for me to be honest with you guys. I love Ben Simmons, and he's making it really hard to be a fan of his personally. It breaks my heart. But end of the day, you got this is his, he's a man making his own decisions, and I couldn't have said it better. He's being a diva. 
he's acting as if he's bigger than basketball right now, that he's bigger than the the organization. And, you know, some players are. Some players are are bigger than the organization. You have those once-in-a-generation type players. Ben's not that. Not even close. Especially not at this point in his career. He's not that. And the the quote of, it's not my my uh my responsibility to to increase my trade value that couldn't be more opposite <laughs> it is your like your play dictates what you're worth yep so obviously they they coincide one another so to what you said about Shaq i'm i'm old school in the sense of i don't mind you telling me i'm bad cuz that's just going to make me go into the lab and get better not all people are like that. Like we were t- I was saying about the Gen Z, you're going to make us look bad about the not hard work with the Belichick situation, right? Ben Simmons is epitomizing Gen Z. He's, he's more backing away from a challenge because someone's finally pressuring him. He's had the tools. You said he has the tools to be a great player, an all-NBA player, which he already has been, a defensive player of the year candidate, which he has been year in, year out. And when you're not utilizing your gifts and and not taking these talents that God gave you and are putting them to their maximum potential, you're wasting not only your time but the the money the 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 effort that these guys have put into you. And I do still I do still think that Ben, wherever he decides to go, he will be a successful not successful is the wrong word. He will be a good basketball player. But whether he'll exceed whatever he's been lately. It's been it's going to be tough especially with what he's done to himself in the media and how people are going to perceive him for the rest of his career. It's going to be a lot for him to overcome mentally and from what I've already taken out of this past off season, he's not he's not tough when it comes to to this to the mental aspect of it cuz people listen to us so people can't see that I'm pointing to my head but I definitely worry about Ben Simmons's future and I want him to stay with Philadelphia cuz I want him to prove to not just the Philadelphia fans, but NBA fans, that he can persevere through adversity. And this is one of those times where greats have been tested. Shaq left. Kobe struggled for years. Kobe can't get it done without Shaq. Kobe goes. Here's the here's the noise. Goes and wins two championships. LeBron loses in 2011. He'll never be Mike. He's not. He's not that type of player. Comes back 2012. Wins. There's just moments that you, even Kevin Durant, I'll give him his respect, loses 3-1 down. There's talks, uh, excuse me, loses 3-1 down, let me finish the statement, loses 3-1 down to Golden State, goes, comes back the next year, goes one-on-one with LeBron, wins the championship, whether it was right or wrong, whether that decision, you know, that he made was the good one, I, I won't side with, but he still got it done. There's things you have to prove to people. Ben was compared to LeBron James. He had this expectation of being great. There's moments where you are challenged with a task that you need to overcome. And some can mount up to that pressure and some completely crumble. And that's all on Ben. You had a problem with Shaq's statement? A little bit. I didn't have a problem with it at all. I, I, didn't, like, I didn't like the way he just came out I, like I that. get what you're saying because it's hard, especially when an all-time great legend, someone whose word is so solid in the NBA means so much to, to, to the future generations of the game that he's tearing you down. That's an inspiration to so many players and he's knocking you. I get that. Wait, so I got, I got a question for you, actually a better one. Mm. Do you think he was wrong? Mm. 
he was wrong in not saying he's not a good player. He said you're not that good. He could have said it a better way. But I agree. Was with that. he wrong or was no, he right? He wasn't wrong. He was he, right. He was wrong in his delivery. But he wasn't wrong when he was saying he could have said it. So a because way. he was right, that's why I don't have a problem with his statement. That's I think fair. the Donovan Mitchell statement, he was wrong in what he yeah. said about Donovan Mitchell. That's why people had a problem with it because he's already shown showcased himself in playoffs. I got a question for you, Drew. Let's hear it. So obviously all of this turmoil and drama around Ben Simmons is around the fact around his performance in the playoffs. Yeah. Shaq and Charles Barkley are making these comments because he didn't perform in the playoffs. Yep. After that playoff series, you were an adamant defender of Ben Simmons. What I mean, I, I was. I was. So from this point to that point. What's changed? From, from that point to this point, mm-hmm. what has changed in your perspective? Because all, he hasn't played a game. No, for sure. So do you still stand by his performance in the playoffs because – Rev and I were knocking on the door that he played awful. Yeah, and you said I did he wasn't he played, that bad. I that's incorrect because you said no. I you said me, he I'll had thirteen assists. Said. I'll tell you what I said in in the game seven. I said that he did not play well. He did not because obviously scoring wise he was not aggressive. He cost the team you in, said in he multiple didn't play facets. As bad as what we thought he played, and and I do agree with that. Still, defensively he still was pretty. He was a he's a solid defender. What whenever any night. That he plays basketball. He's gonna- and the, these comments that Shaq and Charles and everybody in the NBA media is talking about, when they talk about Ben Simmons, they say it because they believe Ben Simmons played as bad as we believe he played in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So do you believe that he played as bad as we think he played? Or you still think he played solid? I don't think... I never... Solid is, is not the word I would use. I wouldn't even use the word good. I wouldn't use the word terrible. He didn't play well. That's what I would say. He didn't play well because there's a certain expectation of Ben Simmons. So what has changed in your view of it's Ben Simmons? the way that he's allowed himself to be perceived, okay. his attitude towards the game. There's there's people that, that have folded that I will still stay— Exactly, and I've given—have I not come full circle with him? Paul George was one that I thought mentally was not all there that, that needed to— to when he was being challenged to, to overcome. That's exactly a perfect explanation of but what I was saying though. before. There's a, the the rumors of not the rumors the allegations that Paul George come playoff time is not that guy. So what happens? He's asked to be the number one option on the Clippers team. He beats the number one seeded Utah Jazz. He goes and plays the Phoenix Suns and still plays at an extremely high level. Paul George answered critics. Paul George gained respect, and he did that with his basketball play, not saying anything, just letting his straight up skills do the talking. Ben Simmons is do, letting his talking do the talking. Mm. And that's the issue. And that's the problem I have. And that's what's changed. But also the difference in the Paul George situation is that that bad playoff performance was more due to how he played in the bubble. Correct? And against Utah, there's just been moments where he just hasn't had a great series. Utah, not this most past one. I guess, huh? Exactly. So, so in that bubble, when he openly said that the reason why he couldn't focus is because of his mental health and how he felt towards that. Mm. You didn't think that was a good enough excuse to say Paul George gets off the hook for that. Now, mental health is a definitely a strong issue, and I understand people going through any type of t- t- tough trials and tribulations. But every single player deals with mental adversity. There's certain challenges as an athlete that are put upon you once you take that professional leap. You, you sign that contract, you sign cameras being in your face 24-7. You sign when you, when 
not when you become an also a superstar because when you become a superstar that just multiplies times a hundred. But when you are at a certain level, there's things that come with it, and whether you can overcome those situations. No, I get it about overcoming it, but you think that even though he came out and said that this is why I didn't play well, mm-hmm. this is why I couldn't focus on the game. You still critique him for his performance. Well, there was still, I mean, he didn't play well, but then you know what he did? And, he that, and that moment right there is why you labeled him a playoff underachiever. Not just that moment. There's multiple points besides that. Can you name one? Like I said, against, Utah, against Utah. Utah. But he had a shoulder injury that series, too. Okay. No, no, it wasn't that one. No. Portland. He, against Utah, he had it, too. Though. Yo, everything okay? Not yet. Everything's okay. No, I'm just okay. asking you. He had one against uh, Utah? Yeah, first round against Donovan Mitchell in his rookie year. Really, he had a shoulder injury? But that was... The but, one that Joe Ingles gave him fits? Joe Ingles was good, but Paul George was the best player on OKC. No, I agree, but... I didn't know he had a shoulder injury. I thought I it was know, just against Portland. It was against Portland. Did you You're look right. that up? Oh, okay. I'm just making sure. Because there's... I'm not the only one in the entire world that looks at Paul George and thinks after his time in Indiana. There was time... That, that Indiana series uh, against, uh, against LeBron, when he was by himself, Paul George had a strong chance to win that series and lost he, he it's not like he hasn't had opportunities in the past to to you mean the series to, where cj miles took the game winning shot and he wanted the shot he still lost what does that have to do with Wait, anything LeBron wasn't by himself i'm asking he was with i'm Ky- asking no i'm at now i'm genuinely asking remember when you said we went seven was paul george it, that on that was squad? Vic, that was victor oladipo that was victor. squad i wasn't that, okay so, just was on the other side losing to utah understand so when he lost to lebron Kyrie, k lover on yep, the team yep for sure all right i just got I got my times mixed up. But, yeah, there's been moments where, where Paul George hasn't been the Paul George that he was that first go-around with Indiana when LeBron was on the heat. And that's, that's the Paul George that I remember being that type of caliber player that I thought he would be for the rest of his career. Then he struggled. He had some moments where he was not the Paul George that everyone was accustomed to. Yeah. But he had a challenge, and he overcame it. Ben has a challenge, and whether he overcomes it or not is the question. And... Right now, from the way that he's approaching it, who I, I, I strongly doubt that he's going to overcome it because half, half of the game is, not, is mental. More than half of the game is mental. How you carry yourself up here in, is strongly influenced on your play on the court. And if you're not tough mentally, you're, you're going to fail. It, it's just, that's just how life goes And anything. We're doing a podcast you know, if, if I'm not all up here and my words are getting all jumbled and I'm doubting myself when I talk, that's an issue. But if I'm confident in what I'm saying, whether I be, whether it's fact or fiction, as long as I'm confident and I'm feeling good about it, there's no one that could tell me anything. Mm. Now, Ben Simmons is put in a similar situation where now he's in a similar situation where obviously he's making $200 million, he's playing basketball for a living. But he's in a situation where he's being pressed and he's being challenged as a weak-minded individual, and he needs to overcome that. And that's the only thing that's changed for me is him coming out and, and being vocal and sounding like a little girl. I ask you those questions because this is not Ben Simmons' first time not playing good in the playoffs. He played bad against Boston when they had Jason Tatum, Rozier, Brown, and a rookie Tatum he's, got past them. He's still young. He's a young player Ben still. Simmons, in every single playoff series that he's been, we have been we have been left in that series wanting more. Mm-hmm. Even in the first Please. round versus Washington, they got past Washington fairly easy, but we still looked at Ben and said, why is he not doing more? The bottom line is that Ben's trade value is 100% on him 
because sure. he shot 34% from the free throw line. He only took three shots total in game two. In game three, he took eight shots. In game four, he was one for five from the free throw line. Game five, four for 14, and he took 10 shots total in game six and game seven. How many shots did he take in game four? I'm just curious. He took, he, he was one for five in game four. He took about seven shots in game four. Ben Simmons was not good that entire series, and that's why I asked you because we've been on this boat since the minute it started. When Ben Simmons was playing bad, we said it on this podcast multiple times, and that's why we came up with that question of who would you take over Ben Simmons? Mm. And at that point, I said I would take OG and Anobi over Ben Simmons. I'd probably even take Dylan Brooks. I say that to say that Ben Simmons has always been a playoff underperformer, and you're right. He has been a diva, and it showcased the most that after Game 7 when he passed up that open dunk and he passed it, a reporter asked him why he passed up that shot. Mm. And what he answered with is that he said he always does that. He always passes to his teammates. He always looks for the open man. So instead of taking accountability for that situation, Ben Simmons instead deflected the question and refused to take blame. And these patterns have been happening. Ben Simmons ultimately deserves all the criticism he's getting because I don't believe it's a similar situation to a Paul George because we have seen Paul George make the Eastern Conference Finals, face LeBron twice in the ECF, one time go to Game 7, one game away from going to the NBA Finals. We saw Paul George have a career-ending leg injury that would have ended most people's careers in the NBA. Paul George refused for that to happen to him. He came back just as good, if not a better player. And that's why I have a problem with people knocking Paul George's performance in a bubble because that's really the only one point in his career that you can point to that he hasn't been so great. Every other situation, he's been manageable. He's been okay. And that's why I think there's a difference between Ben Simmons and Paul George. Paul George has already proved something in the playoffs where Ben Simmons has not proved anything in the NBA. He's been an all-star. He's been an all-NBA defender. But the same thing everybody always critiques Harding for, Westbrook for, and other great players, they talk about the playoffs are the only thing that matters. And thus far, Ben Simmons has never been great in the playoffs. You can't name one moment that Ben Simmons has shocked you in the playoffs. When Jimmy was in Philly, Ben Simmons wasn't good. He was relegated to a backup lead guard role to Jimmy Butler. Ben Simmons versus rookie Tatum and Rozier and Brown. Ben Simmons or or Jimmy Butler? That's obvious. At that point, Ben Simmons was supposed to be the guy. At that point, he was supposed to be the guy. And that was Ben Simmons' career year. So what's next for for Ben at this point? It's obviously a new start, and I think it's not in Philly. So we don't expect him You're to play. You're saying Ben's never had a good game in the playoffs? No, He's no. never had a great moment in the playoffs. I mean, he had 31 in 2018. What did he do that? Uh, uh, against Philly. Oh, excuse me, against against Brooklyn. Had 24 against you mean, Boston. You mean, you mean a first-round series where they were heavily favored against the Brooklyn Nets who were surprised to You're make the playoffs? You're saying he's never had a good moment. I'm just saying. That's not a great moment. Nobody points to that. Was that, one of, was that a moment that... You look at it and say, say that was do or die for Philly. And, and I agree with that sentiment. I he's agree. had more bad Just moments. To say that. he's never, like, he's had a couple, but obviously, <laughs> always the bad. I mean, in, in that, hold good. up, Riv. In that series, what do you remember most about that series? Just the Nets making the playoffs. 
You know what I remember? What? I remember Jared Dudley talking trash to Ben Simmons. Oh, and they got in that fight, right? Yeah. That was in the regular season. That, that was, was, that was that playoffs. Playoffs? Was that, that, that playoff game. I think Jimmy got suspended for like a game. Jimmy, I don't think Jimmy got suspended. He might have, though. Because he pushed the Jared Dudley in the back. I think Embiid might have got suspended. Yeah, it was I, one of those. I remember that. That was, yeah. That game That's was what bad. I remember most about that series. I don't remember Simmons going crazy. So in that we series. don't expect Ben to be on Philly at training camp. I don't think he's going to nah, show he's up. He's not going to show up. That's just a crazy thing That's, to it's do. It's disgusting to me personally. How do you just not show up? Like, is he going to get fined? Definitely. If they you don't show up, you get fine. fined. Yeah. That's that puts such a blow on Philly as a team in that city. Like, they were supposed to be in contention to be in the ECF, you know, make the NBA finals, and he just completely put a blow to that. I mean, they still have a good team, but like Embiid has gone to bat for Ben Simmons multiple times in the media. Like I want to play with Ben for the rest yep. of my life. And he's just spitting and in his face. And the first time that he's really being pressured by media, he wants out. It speaks volumes on his character. You don't think this is a product of clutch sports? He's assigned to clutch. AD is on clutch. He is on clutch. And what did Zach AD Levine's do? on clutch? What did AD do? Win a championship? Ooh. No, I think he's talking about the situation where guys are wanting out of their cities. Ah, uh, I understand, but James Harden wanted out. Well, what did AD do in, with the Pelicans? Not much. I mean, he made, he made playoffs I mean, a few I'm not times. talking about that. You're talking about just his career there. I'm talking about that year, AD deliberately sat out until oh, he yeah, got he traded. Did. He no, but I think fines. he was hurt. Oh, did he? He, did, he no, was he not hurt. He was healthy. Okay. He just sat out those games and said, I'm not going to play. Rich Paul told you me trade me. And AD said, I'm not going anywhere besides L.A. If you trade me to Boston, Boston, I'm not signing an extension there. That's interesting, there. actually. That's a player No, that's, a good, that's, that's a good analysis so, right there. AD did that. You have Ben Simmons doing that right now, and he signed to clutch as well. I really hope well. Zach does not do that. And, but the first person to really do it was LeBron, who started that whole movement of player empowerment. Yeah, but he never sat team. out. No, he, I, I don't it. think LeBron would ever do that. No. But LeBron also did do an hour special about where he's going to go play. <laughs> that was lit. In free agency. No. That's a moment in history. No, it, was, it was a great moment. For real. Like, come on, bro. I'm cool with it. Of course you are. It's your favorite player. Fair very, enough. But very people, like, Charles Barkley has criticized Clutch Sports for doing things like that. But he also has something out for LeBron. But like, there's been a lot of people that's it. been uh, criticizing Clutch Sport. They, really? They, yeah, because Clutch Sport makes it as so the player is bigger than the organization. This is what I'm saying. Charles Barkley talked about it and talked about how there has to be some consequence for players doing this. Yeah, because if you, a player, signs a $200 million contract and your contract is for five years, in your second year, you can't just say, okay, I want out. I don't want to play here no more. And if you don't trade me or release me, I'm not going to play another game for you guys again. And obviously, players are doing that now. James Harden, even though in Houston you can say he did it, James Harden still played. You know, although James Harden didn't play good, he, he didn't try to play exceptionally. You know, he had like 38 and 17. He just didn't want to get hurt. Game. Yeah, he didn't go all out. Players have done this and they've been part of this player empowerment movement, which I think to an extent is good. But where do you think the line stops with that? Because there has to be even deeper consequences than a $45,000 fine, which to us, that's, you know, gener- that's life-changing money at least at the moment but for these nba players that are getting paid 25 million a year those fines are very little to them i think you 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 hit you said it It starts when guys start sitting out that has to be the line if you want to i don't have a problem with you wanting wanting out okay fine if you don't want to be here no more we can figure something out 
we get you traded. But you have to still suit up and play. You know, you 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 get paid to play. You come to do your job. So at least suit up and play. I'm not asking you to go out there and play hard. You know what I'm saying? Just but go out there, suit up and play, and then we'll figure out a trade scenario. You give me three destinations, and I'll figure out what's best for my team and your team. I think that's fair. But when guys limited to just one place. And other teams know that it's hard for that team to get something good back. You know, L.A. was lucky to get three young with well, two young pieces and a couple of draft picks. Yeah. But in terms of like, um, damn, damn, Houston, you know, they didn't really. They got a bunch of draft picks. They did get a bunch of draft picks. But did, did uh, Harden not play for the Rockets early in that season? I'm wondering. No, he, he did, did play. play for them. And, yeah. and Harden, you know, he respectfully, Harden did give them three destinations. You know, I think it was, what, Philly, Miami, but he really wanted to go to Brooklyn, Brooklyn. but it was those three. He was and they fine. did right by him by trading him to Brooklyn. Yeah, he was fine, but that's that's what I'm cool with. Like, look, he said, I'm fine with these three, but I really want to go to Brooklyn. And, you know, they yeah. figure out, well, that's, that's understandable, and he still played. Like, Harden did it the right way. Yeah, but when guys sit out... And talk about Harden's way in. was just ugly. The exit yeah. was ugly from it. Yeah, but I like that way better. You know, AD the way he did it, Ben Simmons the way he's doing it now. Like it's you can't do stuff like that, bro. You got to go at least suit up and play. What other players have wanted out like that? The way AD and Ben have done it, and LeBron. Well, not LeBron, not LeBron, but AD, Ben, and who else has done it like that? Maybe Kawhi, but he's not part of Clutch. At least I don't think so. So I still throw him in there. Not, Kyrie, not Kyrie did it the Harden way. Not uh, asking where he wanted to go, but he did it but like... But that happened in the offseason, his trade. Well, that's what Ben's doing right now. Ben's is in the offseason. But he's saying he's not going to report to training camp. Yeah, he's a wild but it's still the it's still the... I'm sure that Kyrie wouldn't have reported either. Probably in Kawhi. Well, ha- exactly. But what happened with Kyrie was weird because it was like, all right, I want to be traded. Two weeks later, he's gone. Yeah, they got him out of there. But the reason why is because Kyrie's... <laughs> plays uh, here and Ben's here, maybe even lower. Yeah, so I'll probably say Kawhi. And, and then you have the Nerlens Noel situation with Clutch Sports. Which is very interesting. You what's know what happened in no, that situation? What's going on with that? I don't. So the situation was that Rich Paul had contract offers on the table for Nerlens Noel, but he didn't notify him about the contract offers. I think he's doing that to a lot of guys. He wants them to go where he wants them to go. Would he, he, would he only told Nerlens about one offer? I think the Dallas offers the one that like is in everybody's head. I'm not sure how many offers he told Nerlens Noel about, mm-hmm. but Nerlens Noel, the, the the lawsuit on Rich Paul is that he didn't tell me all the options I had. He just you know, told him. Th- about there a were few. teams calling and he ignored the calls. And teams, I guess, from Nerlens Noel perspective, have told him that Rich Paul ignored their call, ignored their calls. Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony, he's on Rich. He never did that. He he's Nerlens is still in New York. That was that was when he was with um, Dallas. Oh, and then he ended up going to you guys. Yeah, because he he rejected a four. No, he went to OKC after that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. He rejected a four year, fifty six million dollar. He just found that out. No, no, that that happened a while ago. But I'm just saying he's recent. Like just now, he's suing Rich Paul. Oh, okay, okay, okay. For Rich Paul not telling okay. him about contract offers that he had on the table. So I'm just I just looked up players that requested a trade that were elite. They gave me like a top ten. Melo was nine on this list. Melo did request a trade. He did get traded mid-season. He kept playing, though. He did keep playing. I'm not saying that he sat out. You're just talking about players that strictly sat out. Yeah, Are you similar t- situation to AD. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone's ever done it like AD, actually. Because Chris Paul requested a trade. That just got done. Same. Kawhi, a lot of these trades Kawhi, are getting done fast. Kawhi though. Leonard sat a whole season. Yeah. 
So that might be the only player outside of Anthony Davis. The other two is not a situation like that, but also in terms of trying to force your hand and control the situation Mm -hmm. when LeBron was in Cleveland and they traded for Jordan Clarkson and they paid Tristan Thompson that boatload of money. Mm. Rich Paul forced the hand by saying LeBron wants these guys and that's why you should pay him. I'm not sure about Jordan Clarkson, but it definitely happened with Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith. I believe he was a client of Rich Paul's too. Well, what does that have to do with the request in a trade thing, though? The problem the problem that a lot of agents and people, ha- well, media people and w- whatever have and teams have with Rich Paul and Clutch Sports is that they force teams' hands. So they give them an ultimatum. We know LeBron is on your team. And if you want to keep LeBron happy, sign, tr- sign Tristan Thompson and sign J.R. Smith. If you don't sign them, LeBron is leaving next season. Mm. And then they sign these players and LeBron leaves next season anyway. <laughs> so that I that's think he still is on the team. No, you say hypothetically. Oh, okay. So okay. that that's what I'm talking about in terms of clutch sports trying to force teams' hands. And that's what a, a lot of reports on team on teams have been saying that they don't like the way that Rich Paul tries to take control out of the team's hands. And this 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 hurts me because you know Zach just signed with Clutch and he can very much so force our hands. I have a question. Alonzo's with Clutch and he signed with the Bulls. Can I ask you guys that a question? True. Are you guys not in favor of the players? Depends. There's a balance. Has to be a balance. You're I, not bigger than the organization. I agree, but do you believe that certain players deserve the right to go? LeBron, yes. Okay. Keep Arden, going. yes. Okay. Steph, yeah. Why Harden though? All time, he's an all time player. I, ben I, Simmons, no. I, I agree. I agree. AD fifty fifty, but you're never on the but court. In my opinion, in my opinion, I agree with the Steph Curry, LeBron, KD probably. Yeah. So Harden's in that not in that upper echelon of guys. He, he he is, but then if you're gonna say Harden, yes, then I think you just need to say AD. That's all I'm saying. Say. Always say not AD because he's never on the court. I that's never on the court is so strong, dude. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying I like, do. I do. Like he's, you uh, have to say AD. Yeah, that's I agree. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. said AD after. Now, nah, you said 50 50. I did say 50 50. That's why. I, listen, I'm cool with Harden. For There's sure. the difference, though. Harden's an MVP. Listen, I'm cool with any player requesting a trade. As much as it hurt me that Kyrie wanted to leave, I understand. The, the, the question is are you, are you cool with players sitting out? Th- that's where I draw the line, personally. So, who's a player that you're okay with sitting out? No one. That's, that's the real question we're asking. Agreed. Agreed. But I'm I'm in I'm in complete agreement. Actually, you know what's funny about that though? Because now you're talking about sitting down and it just immediately reminds me of Le'Veon Bell. I was fully in support of Le'Veon sitting out. This is a man that wants his money. That's a difference though. He was needed he needed a contract. Ben has a contract and is saying, I'm not gonna play. Yeah. That's my issue. But players that are are in talks of getting a contract and the the, the organization's playing with their money. I side 100% with the players. But in terms of if you have a contract already and you're not standing strong on that contract, then I, I can't respect that personally. But I'm pretty sure that uh, that contract, even though in the NBA most of it is guaranteed, they pay them they pay them weekly and stuff like that. I think so. So they pay them, by cha- they pay them game by game. Mm-hmm. So, for example... Even though Ben Simmons has a $200 million contract, he's not getting paid $200 million right now. Mm-hmm. He's getting it in bits. So if he does not report to Philly's camp, and then there's a stretch where he's not Wait, there what, for what a long time. What about guaranteed money, though? There should be things in a contract that automatically void that. But I don't because, think it does the whole thing. Because in the, in, in the NBA, <laughs> like amnesty, mm-hmm. amnesty clauses, if you don't play and you're injured, teams can amnesty your contract. 
How many people have that in their contract, though? I think there has to be some protections for teams because I think ben like let's say like let's say Ben Simmons I don't know like let's say he doesn't play another game for Philly mm-hmm. or anybody else and he just sits out and he's like okay I'm not reporting to Philly I'm not playing for them and they haven't traded me I don't think Ben Simmons is getting that whole contract he'll get some though I don't know probably so not all, all of it I don't know the full details of this of this contract specifically but there's this guy Bobby Bonilla in in Major League Baseball he gets paid by the Mets. Until 2030-something, he gets paid like one-point-something million dollars for the for up until 30. Every 20, year. Every single year. It's a special day, Bobby Bonilla Day. So he's not playing in the MLB, obviously, but he's still getting this money because of the contract. I'm not sure if it's completely vo- – you know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure that just because of this contract, he's locked and safe. Like, similar to Andrew Luck. He got the contract. Luke Keekley, he got the contract. The Colts could have not paid Andrew Luck, though. They decided to give him the yeah. contract. Luke Keekley, same thing. They did, I'm not sure if they paid him, but they pro- I, I think with Luke Keekley, it might be a different story because I think Luke Keekley, I saw an interview where he decided not to take it. Really? Yeah, he decided not to take it because he didn't feel like he earned that because he didn't play. I could be wrong. I know Luck took it. Yeah. But that's because the organization Screwed felt- him over? Not even wait. You think they screwed over Luck? I just think that they put him up until that last season that he got hurt. You know what I'm saying? The one that he retired. I guess I'm talking about just because O line they they destroyed him. I'm talking about contractually. Oh, of course they blessed him. Yeah, I don't think they screwed him over. No, they paid Luck because they said thank you for everything you did for us. We're gonna give you this money. Absolutely. I don't think like in a Ben Simmons situation. I don't think they're gonna do that with Ben. Mm -hmm. Like if Philly was in that position, I agree with that. Yeah, no, I agree. Luck like, for example, guy. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson doesn't play again. He's not going to get that contract. Exactly. Especially because he's being threatened by the law. So Yeah, so I know the NFL, their contracts were completely different. But yeah. I'm not sure if Ben Simmons stops playing, mm-hmm. if he's not going to get that money as well. Yeah. I'm not sure how NBA contracts work because that might be in the next CBA agreement that yeah. players can't have this complete power, or at least the stars can't have this complete power over the teams in terms of picking where they want to so go, the way where they that, want to get traded. The last thing I'll say, and we can move on. The way that the players have power over these organizations, it leads me to believe these contracts are 100% valid for the rest of their lives. You understand what I mean? Yeah. The fact that he could sit out and get fined, obviously, but not have that we're not even have heard that his contract think, could get voided, it his, leads me to believe I, the contract's going to be 100%. I think most of his contract is probably guaranteed. That's yeah. why. I think basketball contracts are guaranteed. It depends. Yeah, you can some have of them the are football. Yeah. Football are the only ones that you get a portion that you have to sign for guaranteed money. Yeah. Baseball is guaranteed money. NHL's guaranteed money. Uh, basketball's guaranteed money. On to Christian Wood and the Houston Rockets. That's his forty-five guaranteed clown. That's so lit. Christian so, Wood had a breakout season for the Rockets last year. He almost got an All Star nod, but he couldn't stay healthy. But he was averaging 23 and 11. He shot 55% from the field and 39% from three. And that was in his first 15 games. For the 41 games that he did play, he averaged numbers close to that, 21 and 9. And he was transitioning from playing with James Harden to then playing with John Wall to then playing with whoever they had filling in, like KPJ. So he's been through a lot of transitions. Christian Wood, in your opinion, do you think he can be an all-star next season and make that leap? You know, I feel like you don't even need to be an all-star to make that all-star leap. So this is just me speaking on his level of play. I think he was already playing like an all-star last year before his injury started bugging him. I, I, I was 
I went on a limb and I said he was playing better than Anthony Davis last year. He I, was. I think he was playing phenomenal. They were a 500 team at at this point when he was, you know, playing phenomenal. And I think this year, you know, coming into the season, they're a little bit healthier. I think he's feeling good. I think he can definitely repeat that all-star level play. I think he can possibly make an all-star game. It really just depends. But I think he's going to be playing at that all-star level just because of the fact that he's improved so much in his game. And it started with Detroit. You know, he's starting to develop that back-to-the-basket game. That jump shot is getting better. That shot blocking has always been there. He's starting to get a little stronger. He's been in the weight room. I follow Jalen Green on Instagram and stuff. So I'll be seeing him. Good follow. The, yeah, that's great follow. Yeah. But I, you know, Christian Wood, he's been in the lab. So I think that all-star level play is going to continue, and it needs to, because he's one of their franchise cornerstones. He's one of those guys that's going to help them build the franchise back up. He's only like 26 years old, so he's still relatively young. And he's a part of that new NBA big type. So I think him continuing to improve his game, he is for sure going to play at that all-star level. Maybe not make an all-star team, because an all-star game is really political. It's a lot of players, yeah. Yeah, but I think he's going to be at that all-star level play for sure next year. Can I ask, has there been any conversation of potential packages at all, or we're just talking strictly? So this is tough for me just because John Wall being on the team and that big contract there and the players that they have around Christian Wood, you got, you know, KPJ, Jalen Green, Sengun, these new pieces that that they brought in. If you're trading... Would then I would need to see John Wall go also, but then John Wall, it's going to be hard to trade him, obviously because of that contract. At that point, I just want to see the the team go young, and I would rather see Wall go, obviously, before I'd see Christian Wood go, just because, like you mentioned, 26 years old. KPJ is a young guy too. Jalen Green obviously just got drafted. This core is really young, so trading Wood, in my opinion, would be a mistake. I think that. From what the what we saw these past couple of seasons of his last th- last three seasons with the Pelicans he was pretty solid uh, with the Pistons he was okay a little bit worse than what he did with the Pelicans but then this past season with the Rockets was obviously his breakout and I just think overall it wouldn't be the wisest move just because really Houston Rockets don't really have much going for them and when Wood was rolling early last season the Rockets were rolling they were winning some games after they had traded traded James Harden. They had something going on. Then he goes down. Rockets just completely collapse. Just decide, you know what? Let's just go for the best overall draft pick, in which I, I can respect. I'm not I'm not against tanking personally. But I just think you you move on from him. It's trying it's kind of deviating away from this young core, especially that he's a young guy. I think James Harden getting traded to the Nets was the best thing to happen for the Rockets. I saw a tweet from somebody earlier today or a couple of days ago that if James Harden would have gotten traded to Philly, they would have had Ben Simmons right now. <laughs> and they wouldn't have had Jalen Green in this young core that's up and coming that everybody is so excited about. When we talk about the Houston Rockets and we talk about Christian Wood, Christian Wood fits right into what they want to do. And Christian Wood yep. embodies exactly what the modern NBA center should be. In terms of an offensive game and handling the ball and shooting the ball and even driving to the basket, Christian Wood is a phenomenal offensive player on defense because of his length. He's a he's a good shot blocker, even though his strength limits him in terms of guarding bigger and stronger players. Christian Wood is a 95th highest paid player in the NBA. Mm, and crazy. I think he's a top 35 player in the NBA. Top 40 for sure. We One day we have to list these out and see who's where. But Christian Wood is an all-star caliber player. And I think you're right. Mm. In the Western Conference, you can be an all-star and not be an all-star. For example, DeMar DeRozan. 
he is an all-star level player, but he didn't make one all-star team in the Western Conference. But he's Mike still Conley. exactly, but he's still an all-star caliber player. And right now, Christian Wood is gonna play center. The centers in the West, you have Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert, Cat. If Cat starts Aiden. winning, Aiden is up and coming. Even I'd put Christoph Porzingis in that area because he had similar numbers to Christian Wood yeah. last year. AD's a four firm. Probably, yeah. Okay. And then you even have a guy like Valanciunas who had great numbers last year, but, you know, obviously he's not an, an all-star. Christian, it's going to be tough for him to make an all-star game because there are so many great big men in the Western Conference. But Christian Wood can definitely take that all-star leap. And this is a guy that, if you've been watching the NBA closely for the last couple of years, especially in Detroit, was on the come-up, on that ascension to being a great player. In Detroit, after they had traded Andre Drummond, he started the second half of the season, and he was dropping 23-10 and 10 with Detroit. That's why when Houston got him for that bargain of a contract, I was happy because at that time I didn't know if Harden or Westbrook were leaving. And Christian Wood, based on what you've seen in, in Detroit, he could have easily been a 20-10 and 10 guy, and I wanted him to sign with the Knicks because I thought he was going to be a great fit for the Knicks. But Christian Wood is phenomenal. You're right. I think trying to trade him would be a mistake, and I've seen – trade packages floating around online. But the bottom line is that he's 25, 26 years old. He's growing with this young core. KPJ, John Wall, I think they're going to be good point guards for him to get him situated to the situation. For sure. Jalen Green, a great scorer. And I'm not worried about Shen Goon taking minutes from Wood no. or Usman Garuba taking minutes from Wood because, for one, I don't think Usman Garuba is quite ready for the NBA. He doesn't have the offensive game for sure. to – get a lot of minutes. And Shen Goon, there's a question mark about how he's going to adapt so early. I think he has the tools and in the pre in the in the G in the G League, not the G League, in Summer League and overseas, he was phenomenal. But now he's going to be facing NBA level comp. Yeah. And with Shen Goon, that was always a concern with him. So I think Christian Wood has a green light to take all the shots he wants. And if he can take a step up in his game in terms of just developing strength, I think that can go a long way. But the real question is if the Rockets have a better record than the Timberwolves and they're in that playoff picture, can he make the all-star game over, let's say, DeAndre Ayton or Rudy Gobert? I wouldn't say Rudy. I think Rudy's got probably going to get in just because of his name and what he does for defensively for the team. Ayton, I think him and Ayton right now are at the same odds, but Ayton coming off that finals run, you don't know what his role is. His role is probably going to be heightened. From last year, he's probably going to put up some good numbers. It's probably just going to be better. That too. And, you know, they're going to be winning a lot of games. So Phoenix, you know, All-Star game definitely attributes to winning. I think Christian Wood definitely has a chance, though, considering the fact that it's going to be a lot of players, you know, injured. You know, we don't know AD's health. And the bench is just whoever, you know, guards, centers. And Kawhi is going to be out. So it's going to be a lot of spots for him that he can. DeMar's not in the West anymore either. So... He has a better shot at forward. Can I ask both of you a question? You mentioned Valanciunas. You taking Wood easy over Valanciunas? Yeah, I am. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know where I stand on that yet. Imagine C. Wood with Zion and the Pelicans. Oh, think, it'd be awesome. Yeah, I think for the Pels, I'd probably go C. Wood. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the overall, you're not I, going C. Wood? I think if it was a Memphis situation, I'd keep I Valanciunas. think why I feel you guys is because he is. You don't think is, Wood is like Jaron Jackson? That's why I wouldn't have both of them. So let's just take Jaron Jackson out the equation. Is Valanciunas versus Seawood? You're taking Seawood? Yeah. 
I think, but since it's Jaron Jacksons, they already have a Christian Wood. So it's like I know there's why? certain. But things if you can have two Jaron Jacksons, that's better than Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'll probably go Wood then. What is good? What is better than Valanciunas? Though I, 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 yeah, I agree with that sentiment too. And this is gonna do it for episode 111 of the Pick Aside Podcast. You guys can follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Pick Aside Podcast on Twitter at Pick Aside Pod. And if you want to subscribe to our Patreon and YouTube, you can and you can get access to our Discord. And soon we're going to have a Patreon exclusive episode where only you guys will suggest the topics and we'll cultivate an episode around the topics you guys suggest. So thank you for watching or listening and we'll see you next time. This is Jonathan Macri from the Knicks Film School Podcast. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising a another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You could invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com backslash blue wire.